This program is sponsored by Wilsey Asset Management. Welcome to your commercial-free, uninterrupted investment show. Sponsored by the SEC-registered investment firm, Wilsey Asset Management, a fiduciary firm owned and operated by President Brent Wilsey, who has been putting clients' investment needs first for over 40 years. The Smart Investing Show has been giving unbiased financial information for over 27 years on local radio stations right here in San Diego, providing you with fundamental analysis on stocks and investments you want to know about. Now, here are your hosts, Brent and Chase Woolsey. Well, good morning and welcome to Smart Investing Show. I'm Brent Woolsey. Just about oh, 8.02 on Saturday morning. Great to have you here this Saturday morning and every Saturday morning. <laughs> talk about your money, your investments, all the important things going on in the financial world. And as always, at the Smart Investing Show, we're taking your calls to talk about your investment questions to give you that unbiased, no strings attached, fundamental opinion about what you want to talk about. Phone numbers here, 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. With me is Chase. Good morning, Chase. How are you doing this morning? Good morning. Doing well. Well, I don't know about you, but I pulled up Reuters this morning and it says uh, site under maintenance. So I don't know. If, if I, don't be. don't worry. I, I've seen this before and it, it always seems to work just fine. This isn't the maintenance that shuts the site down. Yeah. So don't be discouraged. Mine's think- stuck. Mine's not moving. Oh, if you're thinking about calling in, I, I think we'll be okay. Did you pull yours up yet? Yeah, mine mine looks to be just fine. Yeah, maybe I'll start over again while we're talking. Yeah, I, I'm I'm good. So you're good. if you're like, oh, I don't want to call in anymore, don't but worry. You know what? Uh, it's what eight o'clock. Mine's not working. I'm just gonna go home and maybe have breakfast. You can do the whole show since yours is working. Mine's not. <laughs> sounds good. I'm ready to rock. <laughs> well, sounds good. You're ready to rock. <laughs> well, we got a lot of things to talk about this morning. Um, and very important. Yesterday, uh, after the Fed chair, uh, chairman, uh, Fed chair Powell. Uh, Jerome Powell, I believe his first name is Jerome Powell, uh, spoke at the uh, Jackson Hole Symposium. The two major takeaways that uh, we had was the Fed will look at tapering its $120 billion monthly purchases of Treasury and mortgage-backed securities, and interest rate increases are still not on the table. And I'm just, I, I mean, it was good for the markets, but I'm thinking, uh, you, you know what really worries me here, and I know we got more to talk about this, but what really worries me, I don't want to forget, forget about this, but it, it's just like, I've seen this before where you wait and you wait and then all of a sudden, oh my gosh, we're behind and you have to do these very large increases. Yeah. I'd rather see a little bit at a time than getting behind the eight ball. So, I, I mean, that, that's what we saw with Volcker years ago was they kind of got behind the eight ball and they they hiked so quickly. I mean, that shocked the market tremendously. And what, what was that? Was that the uh, 80s? Uh, that I mean, that's when we had huge interest rates. Yeah, that was the 80s. Yeah, you had, uh, gosh, uh, mortgage rates, I think, hit like, uh, gosh, 15% at that time. It was crazy. Yeah, because the 70s when we had runaway inflation, and to combat that inflation, they had to hike interest rates so quickly to kind of cool off that inflation. So yep. um, I, I agree there. I want to make sure we don't have that occur. And, and you know, the, I do want to point out, the Fed has signaled that the economy has recovered much quicker than anticipated they're still keeping an eye on that Delta variant. I mean, and they're saying, well, we're some, somewhat worried. We saw consumer sentiment for August. I'm going to say terrible. I mean, and not good. But, 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 but you know what? I, I've not seen any case increases. I, I, I'm not even I, seeing the numbers. Have you seen any numbers on that? I mean, I, I've seen all oh, the cases. Are right. And I, I guess that's a good point. I haven't actually seen the numbers on the case, right? But I've heard people, oh, and that's the problem. 
It doesn't necessarily stem from the data. It's how do people feel about it. You're right. Because it, it, it's going to be if people don't feel good enough to go out, that's what shocks the economy. So um, having that negative consumer sentiment number come out, that did concern me somewhat. Uh, I do think longer term, again, we, we talk about all this money in the economy. I, I'm not worried about it. I think this is a short term kind of shock, but it's not going to be anything like we saw, of course, last year. I don't think it's going to be anything that's going to take down this market tremendously. It, it, it's just, I think, a little bit of emotion kind of coming back. And, you know, I think that recency bias coming in as well that people, mm-hmm. oh, this happened last year. We're going to be shut down again. It's going to be terrible. The masks are coming back. All, all these different things. I, I think that's what is worrying people, and I think that's what the negative consumer sentiment came from. And I, I think the Fed is, again, they kind of have to say that. They have to say, yeah, we're monitoring the Delta variant. They can be like, oh, yeah, we, we don't care about that. <laughs> that's true. <You> know? <laughs> so I, I, I do think that that is kind of weighing on things. I don't think it's really going to change much of their, their path at this point. And another reason for that is we did see the PCE, which stands for Personal Consumption Expenditures Index, and this is the Fed's preferred measure for inflation. That was also released yesterday, and the increase of 3.6% year-over-year was the highest since 1991. That's 30 years. It's a long time. That's a very long time, and and their normal kind of target's about 2%. And again, they, they did say they'll let inflation run a little bit hot, but uh, 3.6% is a, a strong number. You know, we did a post last uh, week on our social media, uh, and it was about inflation. And the number of people said, yeah, you know, even the cost of bacon is up. You know, I mean, everything is up. And I, we've said here before on the show and in our, our comments and so forth in media that uh, we just don't see it being a short-term thing. I just don't see how it can be. And actually, somebody else made a good point, too, which I agree with them, is that many times inflation begets inflation because you got, the, you know, starts with the energy well, that's going to go up. Well, now I got to raise my prices, and it just goes on and on and on. So I, I'm a little bit worried sometimes that they could get this out of hand or let this yeah. go out of hand. And I, I I will disagree with you. I, I don't know necessarily exactly what your uh, your point was on on the rising of interest rates. I I do think that it'd be a mistake to stop the tapering and increase interest rates at the same time. I, I think that would be a major major mm-hmm. shock. Because what the tapering is, again, that, that's the Fed buying bonds. And it's $120 billion a month. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty substantial amount in the market. And that's creating demand for these treasuries and, and different products like that, which helps keep interest rates lower. And, and again, this is something that people have to think about. Is all of a sudden the Fed starts to pull back on that that purchase of, of treasuries. Well, now there's less demand in the market for it, which, which it should, in theory, increase interest rates. Right. Because there's less people buying it. So... That is something to consider. And also, too, that you said inflation creates inflation. The other thought that I've heard people talk about is, well, I'm worried prices are going to go up even further, so I'm going to buy now, which increases more demand, <laughs> yes, which causes more supply constraints. So it, it's it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Once it gets rolling, it is it is something to consider. Yeah, and, it, and it's these things. I'm going to have to um, work on my site because I'm, I'm having trouble getting on here, but I, w- I want to focus more on what we're talking about now because uh, it's it just so many important things. But, I, you know, that kind of brings me up to the next one I want to talk about. As the jobs in our economy continue to come back, there is a one set of workers that, uh, well, I hate to say it sounds bad, but we've kind of likely lost them for good. <laughs> what am I talking about? Well, as the most recent report, our economy was about 5.7 million jobs or 3.7% below where we stood in February 2020 before the pandemic, but with a strong stock market, climbing real estate prices, and to change to the work environment, 
well, there's a thing we left out about the people retiring. Yeah. Now, I mean, those 65 or older, I mean, they, they did retire in greater numbers. It's estimated, in fact, that 1.7 million more older workers and those 65 plus retired than was originally expected. And it's as of Q2 2021 during the pandemic. And I, I do believe this worker shortage remains the economy's biggest threat to inflation in the years ahead. I mean, it, it's just it's something that you hear. And I, I, I talked last week about the inflation side of things where, you know, the the conference calls are reading. It's like, gosh, well, we have to increase prices to offset mm-hmm. cost increases. And yeah, we got to increase prices again. And that's another thing that that these companies are talking about. I was listening to a flooring company on the way in today, and and they just they're like, well, we can't find people to work. The yeah. labor shortage. We have so much demand for our products, but we can't find people to work. Yeah. So I mean, there is this labor shortage, and I do worry that this retirement crisis could get even worse because the stock market remains elevated. Oh, yeah. Housing prices continue to remain elevated. It's like. You know, I'm kind of tired. I and the other thing too. When I <laughs> wait, you're tired. You know, I, 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 I was talking uh, as, as like a, a sixty, a sixty-eight yeah, I, I year old. You know? yeah. You, you, yeah, you're too young to be tired. Well, but. I am tired. I stayed up till midnight last night. I had to celebrate the victory. Oh, for you, uh, football day. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the the thing we look at here is is these these people that say, well, you know, I don't need to work anymore. I, I don't really want to, or maybe it's the fact that they say, well, I can work part time. I still enjoy it. But that's still less hours being yeah. put in there. And it, it's just, it, it worries me somewhat, especially, too, the work environment has changed a lot. A lot of people, I, I hate to say it, I mean, you yourself don't love technology. <laughs> a lot of the work environment. That's a is, secret. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of the work environment has shifted to this online nature right. where it, it's it's changed. And and those that are can afford to retire, they might be saying, I don't really like this new mode of work. I, I'm going to retire. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and that is true. It just uh, and also too, I don't know the numbers, but I know the baby boomer generation is a very large generation, and there was concerns about this before about them starting to retire. Well, you're right that because their portfolios are up, their real estate is up. Yeah, yeah, you know, I get this nice money coming in. Yeah, I don't need to to work anymore because I don't want to mess with that new technology coming in and everything else, and and these uh, younger people. Uh, but also too, I mean. And I've not heard anything yet. Well, a little bit I've heard. Uh, September what fifteenth is when they're supposed to stop the extra unemployment. Yeah. I hate to say it, but I heard something that mm, perhaps they could increase that for another month or two. Like, no, please don't do that. There'd be no point doing that. Well, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna bring up the Delta variant again. I, I think that don't be surprised. Come a a week or two from now. Oh, we're, we're worried about the Delta variant. I think we're going to need to extend it. I think that's going to be something that that Congress and, and really one side of Congress is going to look at quite heavily. Do they not see the JOLTS report and the employment numbers? Are, are they just uh, ignorant to this stuff? And they just, uh, I, I, I just, I don't get political here, but it's just it's very frustrating. You're, you're in a public office to serve the public look at the data that the public's telling you and, and stop playing political games because we, hey, you don't need to work. We'll give you free money. Yeah. You know, and, and don't worry that we don't have enough workers to work. And then, yeah, yeah so but, we, we won't go political. Yeah, we'll, there, yeah. we'll kind of move on. But, but the, the thing is, yeah, I, I, I just know that this is really what concerns me on the inflation front is this, yeah. this labor shortage. If we do not get this labor shortage resolved, I do believe that is going to create big problems in terms of the inflation. 
I think last week I said too because I had uh, dinner with uh, Burgess Owens, who is a, a congressman from Utah and Daryl Issa and so forth. Um, that there are ways we can fix this to get legal immigration up uh, by kind of loosening up on the visas and so forth. Legal immigration that could help a lot to get the right people in to the country because we are just not having enough people born and the generations are becoming smaller. Uh, but the demand is higher. So we, yeah. we got to do something here. So hopefully we get some smart decisions out of Washington that can turn things around for us. Uh, by the way, phone numbers you want to call in, be the first in to get that unbiased, no strings attached, firm no opinion about what you want to talk about, 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. When you call in, you'll be the first up. And, and you know, I most of the time I kind of pick our topics ahead of time. I, I don't I uh, had to run out of the office yesterday sure. for the game. I don't know if we're talking about it, but I, I just really want to bring this up. I think it is so important. It's the Taiwan Semiconductors. Was mm-hmm. that on our list today? Or You know, it was so hard because we had uh, some good things here to talk about. And uh, where does that was n- that was my fourth choice okay. is what that was. Yeah. I, so you might skip I, to that. We can skip to that. Yeah, and I, I, yeah. I do want to bring up the, the other one you picked. But this kind of just ties into the inflation picture. Right? Yeah. And and I just think it is so important. I mean, we talked about the the labor problems, mm-hmm. but again, the, the material costs and the energy costs and the transportation costs, this is is what could lead to it. And I mean, we keep saying the Fed has maintained this position that inflation is transitory. And, and again, we, we do agree here to some extent. I mean, due to the complexities of turning off the economy last year, there was a lot of changes and also too on inflation. I mean, we talk about these huge numbers. Right. You have to understand, again, it's an easy comparison compared to last year. <laughs> oh, yeah. So that's the hard thing about these inflation numbers. They, they're very elevated, but they're elevated against an easy comp. Um, but, I mean, the thing that I also want to point out is I'm beginning to wonder how long do they consider transitory? Yeah. I mean, what if we see inflation of 3.5% next December? Is that still transitory? Yeah, yeah. And, and and a good example you bring up is Taiwan Semiconductor. They'll be increasing prices, and this is a huge number, by up to 20%. The company accounts for more than half of the global semiconductor foundry market by revenue and is the world's most advanced chips. It has more than 90% of the market by revenue. Uh, Taiwan Semiconductor also has traditional negotiated prices with larger long-term customers, and due to supply constraints, it appears will be coming to an end. Uh, the reason this is concerning is how will companies like Apple and other electronic companies take these price increases? More than likely, they will increase their own prices, which will lead to inflation of those goods. I worry that late 2022, early 2023, the Fed could be in a bind when it comes to inflation. Again, we kind of talked about this earlier in the show, that again, inflation begets inflation. And again, a 20% increase. And I don't know where they came to that number, but again, when you have that much market share, it's like, eh, we'll do it because we want to. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it creates a, a very big problem. And again, we, we've talked a lot about uh, our optimism around Intel. And, you know, this is something that we need. We need an American company. Again, has it in its yeah. name, Taiwan. Semiconductor. Right. That's not an American company. Right. It's a Taiwanese company. And Taiwan scares me again because China, they're, oh, yeah. they're, they're sitting there. And, I, I, you know, they're not saying, well... We don't want Taiwan. No, they they want to take over Taiwan. You know they do. And you know what worries me too is China just sitting there, kind of watching how the United States is dealing with this whole Afghanistan situation. I wasn't going to bring that up. <laughs> well, I, we yeah, kinda, it's part of it. Yeah, you kind of have to because again, it, it it deals with business. And if they're saying hmm, they're not doing much there, we're going to step into Taiwan and we're just going to 
roll them over. We're going to yeah. take it over. Yeah. Um, and that does worry me a little bit, which means we got to depend more on the intels of the world. And uh, it, it is a situation that I think is developing day by day. Uh, I, I don't think it will hurt us that much, but it just worries me somewhat. Well, I mean, you, you look at, again, 50% of the market. Number one, that puts us at risk of, yeah, Taiwan Semiconductors kind of come in. If they continue to take market share and be like, yeah, we're going to increase prices like at a rapid, rapid. I mean, 20%, as you said, is quite oh, large. Huge. Yeah. Well, if they keep controlling the market and they force other players out of business, they can do whatever they want, essentially. Yeah. The other thing that can happen, and this is kind of, uh, I'm going to say a doomsday type thing. I don't foresee this happening. What if China goes in, they take them over, and say, ah, we're sorry, Apple. We're not we get- want <laughs> Xiaomi or Huawei to come yeah. back and actually be the dominant player. We're not going to give you any chips any longer. Right, right. That'd be terrible. So yeah. I do think that we need to have an Intel or you know other players step up here that we can rely upon, kind of diversify supply chains. So just something to kind of keep an eye on. And again, too, on the, the inflation side, it, it is very troublesome because Again, a 20% increase, and it may be a small component, but it is just one component. We talk about transportation costs. We talk about the energy costs. I mean, there's so many other components that are rising right now that companies, again, Taiwan Semiconductor said, this goes into effect next year. Right. So this isn't even in the inflation numbers right now. So there's this transitory inflation occurring, supposedly, what the Fed says, but it hasn't really hit in consumers in all areas yet because companies are still working their way through price increases to offset the price increases that they've had on the cost side. Yeah, yeah. So, it, I, I mean, these are things that develop. And, and as an investor, you know, we did a workshop this past uh, week and I think it came up, well, do you look at other things besides the numbers? Oh, I mean, we rely on the numbers a lot because we're buying businesses and so forth. Very important yeah. to that fundamental analysis. But you have to also look at everything. You have to look at the environment for the business, the economy, and, and a little bit of political there as, as well. And we don't want to get political, but you sometimes have to kind of look at, well, what decisions are going to be made, are being made, uh, that could really hurt uh, the business environment. And we always know that the businesses will find some way around it, but you, and especially if you have companies that are overpriced, yeah. Um, you, you could get hurt really pretty bad. I mean, you, you could see a 30, 40% drop in some of these high-priced companies. People say, oh, that would never happen. Yeah, look back in history, that happens many times. It happens all the time. Yeah, yeah. So, well, not all the time, but it happens more frequently than you think. Yeah. I yeah. do want to move on. I know we had sure. uh, one more topic that you picked, and uh, what, what one are we talking about? Here? Yeah, and, and that was, and again, ha, you know, have people become less charitable? Because according to a study produced by the Indiana, uh, in, in Indiana uh, University Lilly Family School of Philanthropy. Gosh, I'm having a hard time getting Philanthropy. Yeah, that's it. Is yeah, yeah, philanthropy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know. Charity. Yeah, yeah. We'll just say charity. Yeah, we're going to charity tonight, by the way, which we'll talk about in a minute. Just point out. Gosh, yeah. No, it's funny. Yeah, sometimes one person messes up, and then you mess up the same way because. There you go. There you go. I'm going to it. So 49, just 49% of U.S. households donated to a charity organization in 2018. Now, this compares to 66% of U.S. households in 2000. So not as charitable as we used to be. Yeah, I mean, it's I, I'm kind of surprised by it. 
But uh, I mean, some of the reasons cited for the potential decline included growing population of Americans not associated with any religion. I mean, that, that's a big one. Is you know, yeah. coming back to the church. Yeah. People aren't going to church. Well, that's that's a, True. a a big amount there. The other thing too here is the declining levels of trust for institutions and each other. Uh, I think social media has a lot to do with yeah. that. Yeah. And the other thing too is the increased use of informal crowdfunding campaigns. Like GoFundMe. Now, millennials appear to be the biggest culprit for the decline as households run by those under the age of 40 in 2018 reported only about a third gave to a charitable cause. You know, and you see so many fraudulent things on this GoFundMe uh, where people are like, oh, yeah, this happened. And people just send money. They want to, people generally want to, are good. They want to yeah. do good things. But that's why you have these. Real charities, what is a 503C? 501C3. 501C3. Um, the GoFundMe, I, I'd say unless you know the person personally, don't send money to these GoFundMe things because a lot of scams. And then, you know, somebody gets, uh, they had one on just not too long ago, this woman, oh, you know, I got three kids and uh, my husband died or something. I, I think she got all this money and it, they found out that she wasn't even the mother of the kids. Yeah. It's just terrible. I mean, I, I can tell you from, from running a charity now. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of work. Yeah. It's a lot of regulation that you have to keep up with. And the thing is, people that donate to the charity know that the funds are going to a good cause, that you're right. actually being regulated by something. As you said, with GoFundMe, you, you don't really know at the end of the no. day. You can almost send them a Venmo and it's going to be the same thing. Right, right. And the the issue that I have with it is that I look at a couple of them and, you know, I know one experience Um uh, a lady actually had a cat, and the cat uh, got sick and needed a surgery. Well, she started to go fund me, and she got a grant for the cat surgery, and then kept the GoFundMe money. <laughs> well, that's not very right. Another right. one that uh, occurred is uh, there was a, a passing. Uh, you know, a, a mother actually passed away, right. and it's terrible. It's an awful thing. Well, she had assets. And the family's asking for help for the funeral. I'm like, well, if she had a house and cash and other things, I'm sorry. You don't need money for a funeral. And that sounds a little bit cold, but essentially you're taking other people's money so you don't have to dip into your inheritance. That's wrong, yeah. in my opinion. And that was not in the GoFundMe part. They didn't, <laughs> no. they didn't tell that. Yeah. So, so again, I highly recommend you do not do the GoFundMe. It's almost like GoFundMe is what it actually is, you know. And um, it, it is such a difficult thing because there are people that need help, and it, it's just it's so unfortunate that that people take advantage of people here. And I, I hate to say it, but there's just <laughs> times where regulations make sense. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I hate regulations. I hate regulations. They're they're That's so right. hard to yeah. deal with, but they're necessary at times. And in times like this, when you know you're giving to a charitable cause and hoping that your money is going towards something beneficial, well, gosh, I I would I I've just seen too much. I'm I'm definitely been tainted by the stories I've heard of GoFundMe. Yeah, yeah, and it, and it is a shame because people do want to do good and give and so forth. So, well, gosh, uh, uh, eight twenty five got all phone lines open eight six six. Five seven seven two four seven three. That's eight six six five seven seven two four seven three. I don't. Yeah, I was gonna say. You know, we talked a lot about inflation here today, and 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 
you know, we've been doing our, our smart investing weekly stock analysis on YouTube now. And and, and yeah. we talked about a company, Dollar Tree, yesterday. And that it was, it was it was a fun one because we were talking about, you know, how does inflation impact a, a, a dollar store? What's that going to look like? So, you know, if you want to kind of learn more about that, that Dollar Tree segment we did, it is on our YouTube channel. Again, you go to YouTube Smart Investing with Brent and Chase Wilsey, and then you'll go to the weekly stock analysis section there in our channel. Uh, you can watch that video, and, and you know, go ahead and subscribe to that channel. Again, Smart Investing with Brent and Chase Wilsey on YouTube. Because Again, we've been doing this on a weekly basis, so we'll continue to kind of provide different stock tips. And it, it's it's kind of fun, too, because we, we get to go through different stocks here with our callers. But when we do the YouTube, we have more time to kind of dive down deep into these companies. So I, I think it's quite beneficial for our, our listeners that enjoy uh, our analysis of these companies. Yeah, and it does make a, a, a big difference on, on that as well. So, all right. Well, God, I, just, I got all excited. I thought, like, yes, Reuters is coming up, but it's not coming up for me. And it's kind of fine on yours. Well, you use Apple, huh? Yeah. Yeah, I wonder if there's something wrong with the computer system here because it's just uh, – it's happened before. Yeah, it has happened before. So, uh, but it, yeah, we, we can still do it. Uh, I'm going to kind of let you kind of do the whole thing so I can get my computer up and going here. Uh, but let's go to the phones. Phone numbers again, 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. Let's go out to Arizona and speak with Roland. Roland, you're in the Smart Vegetable Brent Chase. How can we help you? Yeah. Well, I get these news feeds on my phone, and a stock popped up this morning that caught my attention. It's a Poway company called Kohu, C-O-H-U. All right. And I don't know if you've covered that. Uh, I listen most weekends, and I don't recall it, but it's an article from Motley Fool, and a lot of their stuff is, you know, nonsense. But the numbers, a quick look, the numbers look somewhat appealing. I thought I'd get your take on it, particularly yeah. since it's in your neighborhood. Yeah, of course, of course. And uh, I, I love Poway. I coach at Poway High, so <laughs> glad, glad you're calling here about Kohu. And uh, let's take a look at the numbers. It, it is in the semiconductor space, which you know, we kind of spent a little bit of time talking about uh, our interest in the space. So it, it could be a big benefactor here. So, again, the ticker symbol for Kohu, well, it's Kohu, C-O-H-U. The current P.E ratio here, Roland, looks pretty strong at 12.95 compared to the industry average of 34.85. Current price to sales, well, that's 2.1 versus industry average of 6.7. Current price to tangible book value, that stands at 4.1 versus the industry average of 21.7. And current price to cash flow, 9.4 versus an industry average of 21. So valuation ratios for co here look just phenomenal. A uh, company does not pay a dividend at this time, but wow, these growth rates, gosh, I, I, I'm mind boggled by them. I mean, sales growth over the last 12 months of 44.8% compared to an industry average of 18.3. And earnings growth, gosh, I'd, I'd have to dig a little bit deeper into this as, as how earnings grew at such a rapid rate as they were up 330.8% compared to an industry average of 16.9%. Turning to the balance sheet, more positive news here. Current ratio of 2.6 versus an industry average of 2.4. And total debt to equity stands at 25.6, while the industry is at 61.6. Now, looking at management effectiveness, the return on capital of 13.4, that's that's a good number. I normally like to see that above 10. 
and return on equity of about 20. Again, exceeds our, our normal hurdle rate there of 15. Looking at profitability, the profit margin of 15.9. Wow, this is the first negative. I'm not even going to call it a negative. I'm pretty happy with the profit margin of 15.9. It is slightly below the industry average at 18.7, though. And receivable turnover at 4.9, uh, below the industry of 9. Inventory turnover at 3.1, again, below the industry average of 4.9. So overall, I mean, numbers here for Kohu, I mean, they're they're very, very strong. Now, looking at the numbers here for the current price, $35.27. It has fallen tremendously off the 52-week high of 51.86, but it's also up substantially from the 52-week low of $15.73. If I go out to December 2022, I see estimated earnings per share of $2.99. We use our 16.6 multiple on that $2.99. That would give us a target sell price of $49.63. So it looks like we still have a a decent estimated return here as it would be about 41%. So, I mean, that's very, very positive. Now, one thing that that concerns me with Kohu is, is, again, the the volatility of these earnings. I mean, (laughs) I look at 2019, the company made just $0.09. 2020, $1.19. 2021, they're estimated three dollars and five cents, and as I said, 2022, unfortunately, it's estimated to dip two ninety nine. So slight decline there from what's estimated to occur this year. Kind of want to understand what could that long term growth be? And we know with the semiconductors, I mean, gosh, that is a space that will likely continue to grow as chips just become more and more involved in our day to day lives. So. I, I think it's an interesting one here, Roland. A lot of the numbers look strong. Definitely some more research to do here, but I, I, I think it's it's worth the time. And I'll give you a little bit of a tip. We actually did cover this on our YouTube, uh, Smart Investing with Brent and Chase Wilsey, a, a couple of weeks ago to kind of give a little bit deeper look at it. I missed it. Yeah, and, and again, it is saved on our YouTube, so if you just go to YouTube.com and, and type in our, our, our names there, you can find that that uh, video if you just go go there as well. Yeah. Can I ask you another generic question? Yeah, go for it. I've listened to the show for years and years. I used to live over in Carlsbad. And um, the um, you, Brent, when he did the show by himself years ago, used to focus on the peg ratio. Mm-hmm. But I've not heard recently you discuss that. So do you use the peg ratio or what... Uh, yeah, we still do it for our analysis, but it doesn't pop up here uh, at what we're doing now. And, and sometimes when we pull up Yahoo Finance, it's there, but on Reuters, it doesn't come up there. So we still use it for our analysis when we do investing for our clients. But here on the show, it's it's something that we can't really pop up on. Yeah, and, and the other thing too, Roland, I, I, have you attended one of our, our workshops in the past as well? Oh, yes. Okay, yeah, because I, I think probably when you came to the workshop, we actually used a short-term peg ratio as well which kind of yes. looks at two quarters of actual data that uh, occurred recently and then kind of two quarters of estimates. Um, I, I think we're pretty pretty quick when it comes to numbers. It's hard to calculate that super quickly. But we still do use the, the short-term peg, and we'll also look at the long-term peg as well. Just, just the calculation takes us a little bit more time. Yeah. I came to the workshop before uh, Chase was on the scene, so it's been a while. You've been around for a long time, I know, Roland. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we've met. Yeah. Yeah. So, 
Well, well, good. Uh, and I was, I was kind of looking real quick for the pig ratio on the Kohu, and I can't find it that quick. So I'm not used to finding it here. So I'm trying to do something different here. But, uh, Roland, I hope that uh, helps you out there. And, and uh, you know, glad things are going well for you. Yeah. As I say, I just discovered it this morning. So wanted to get your take. All right. Especially since you had empty lines. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's kind of a slow morning today. It's kind of cloudy outside, so I think people are still sleeping. You know, actually, <laughs> they seem to pick up in the second hour yeah. uh, of the show. But, uh, Roland, thanks for calling in, and sure. glad things are going well for you. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks. All right. That is open the phone line, 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. we got to give a pat in the back to uh, Apple because through Reuters, you can get it, but for some reason through uh, Chrome and Internet Explorer and everything, it, it's just not coming up. It just says under maintenance and uh, read-only mode, but it's not working for, for on this computer here is what's actually not working. Yeah, I mean, second half, I don't think I'll be able to fix it, but I, I think I have an idea of how uh, how we can get you more incorporated. Okay. <laughs> and okay. so I don't I don't get tired and you know. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I was gonna throw the computer out the window. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, and it's funny, I was looking for Roland the, the peg ratio and it would be a five year peg ratio for Kohu. Uh unfortunately uh when I went to uh, using Yahoo Finance, uh not available. Uh like that always happens that way. Yeah, yeah. I think I've known Roland for gosh, probably twenty years. I think it's been a long, yeah. long time. I think so. he came to one when I was part of it, but I I know he's been following you for a while. Yeah. yeah. I've been yeah. Yeah. So all right, phone number is eight six six five seven seven two four seven three. That's eight six six five seven seven two four seven three. Um you know, uh let's talk about uh, the extended un- unemployment benefits weighing on people's decision to go back to work. And holding back the employment recovery, recovery, uh, the ten states with the lowest unemployment rate are all led by GOP governors, while the ten states with the highest unemployment rate are all led by Democratic governors. Yeah, I mean the the twenty two Republican led states have ended unemployment benefits, while Arkansas, Indiana, and Maryland have tried to end the program but were forced by courts to resume the benefits. Louisiana is the lone Democrat-run state to end the enhanced unemployment, and and again, I I just I'm curious what people are looking at here to say unemployment benefits aren't having an impact mm-hmm. on the unemployment rate. I, I, I think that's pretty clear cut. Yeah. And, and, and to me, I'm, I'm sorry, it's not a political thing. I mean, it, it did kind of come up that way, the way we said it, but in reality, people need to go back to work. Well, it, know, it I, is a political thing because they're making a political thing. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, if you have exactly 25 Republican governors and 25 Democrat governors and 25 Republican governors do it, and 25 Democrat governors right. minus one don't. It's a political thing. Right. But right. It, it's an economic thing when you look at it at the end of the day. That's why I look at more of the economics of it, you know. Um, and, and I'll see more Republican governors did do drop the benefits than Democratic governors. But it's an economic thing. People need to go back to work. And I, I, and I, I just wish that these other governors would wake up and say, yeah, we can get more people back to work. Maybe the question is they don't want to get people back to work. Maybe they do want to go more and like, oh, people shouldn't be working. I I, I don't get that concept at all. But our country is, um, you know, I was, I was watching, um, started watching on uh, Netflix, um, Designated Survivor. And, oh, yeah. And how patriotic, and I'm in the first season, so I know it's kind of changed things, but how patriotic people are and so forth. And that's what it is in the, the United States you know, you had the opportunity to work and, and do things and so forth. And I don't care if you're a Democrat or Republican, 
the thing that I always thought was great about the United States was that, yes, you know, we can we can make it ourselves and do ourselves. We don't need assistance from the government or somebody else to not live off the government. So that's how I kind of kind of view it. And, 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 and again, I want people to work and we got those jobs. We talked about people. We got those jobs and uh, can't get things done, you know. So. Yeah, I, I know. I know. It's, a, it's definitely a tough spot to be in. Yep. So, all right, let's go back to the phones here. Let's go out to San Diego and speak with Andrew. Andrew, you're in the Smart Vegetable Brand Chase. How can we help you? Hey, guys, how we going? First time caller here. Oh, glad. Glad you're calling. How you doing? Doing well. How you doing? Good, good. How can we help you? I'm calling about VEV. I've been long this company for a little bit over a year now, and they've had seemingly pretty good growth good numbers and uh, I want to see what you guys were thinking about them now because I want to see if I should uh, keep holding okay some analysis really and and are you up or you down where do you stand oh I'm up you're up okay by a lot or little or what oh yeah uh, I 40 percent oh okay well that's pretty good then and, and I'm sorry what, the ticker symbol for that is V E E V. E E V. Okay, perfect. I got V E E, so I missed the yeah. V at the end there. But <laughs> let, let me pull that up for you there, Andrew. Yeah, and and uh, I'm not able to get uh, Reuters here, so I'm going to look at some different things here for you uh, that I can find here. Uh, taking a look at the uh, trailing month uh, PE here, it's a 127, which is a obviously extremely high. The Ford PE also very high here. It's a 93. Uh, we did talk about the peg ratio. Uh, peg ratio is 4.2. Uh, that's not too bad, but it's still kind of pricey. We got a price to book of thirty. Uh, I'm sorry, twenty point one. That's expensive. Price to sales thirty three. That's expensive. We got a lot of expenses here that are pretty high, but you do have a nice profit margin of twenty six point two percent. Return on equity nineteen point three. That is good. Uh, looking at the revenue is about one point six billion. Uh, we do see they got about two point one billion cash on the balance sheet. That's good. Uh, debt to equity not so good. Two point five. That's a little bit high. Uh, we like it no higher than one point four. Um, I, I, are you got different numbers? What do you got? Yeah, and you, you said this is Viva Systems, correct? Is that the company I'm looking at? Make sure. I, yeah, I'm looking at Viva Systems. Yeah, symbol V. You get different numbers, Chase? Yep. Yep. Hmm. Well, you know, maybe, maybe uh, what do you got? Cause, uh, yeah. yeah, maybe let me go through the company comparison yeah, yeah, here. Yeah, um, you see what you got. Yeah. Yeah. So, and now maybe I'll do the analysis. On, that yeah, that, that so, was yeah. going to be my, my thought process. <laughs> okay. So, um, yeah, let's take a look. Let's start over on these numbers here for you, yes. Andrew. So uh, starting with the valuation ratios on Viva Systems. So the current PE, I think this does match what Brent said, but 123.6. I mean, very, very elevated. I mean, this, this company is expensive. Uh, industry is very high as well, though. It's 71.8. Current price to sales, 32.4. Wow. I mean, that that is very elevated as well compared to the industry average of 13.01. Uh, looking here at the current price tangible book at 26.6. That does beat the industry average of 103.6, but it is still very, very high. And current price to cash flow of 115.5 also exceeds the industry average of 40.5. So this is, my guess, a very high growth company. It is not a value company. No dividend here. Sales growth over the last 12 months. Yep. Very strong. 30.5 compared to the industry average, 17.6. And earnings growth over the last 12 months up 31%, while the industry was up about 22%. 
This is where the numbers sounded completely different than yours okay. because the current ratio here, very strong, 3.52, and absolutely no debt on the balance sheet. Hmm. So that is okay. a, a big positive. I'd want to double check that <laughs> since we've got deferring numbers here. But I, I do trust Reuters. I, I know we've had some issues with Yahoo in the past. Yeah. Uh, looking at management effectiveness, return on capital, 18.7. That's a strong number. Return on equity at 19.3, also a very strong number. Profit margin here, 26.2, also exceeds the entry of 18.3. And receivable turnover comes in at 5.3. Sizeability industry is 6.5 and no inventory turnover for the company. Do you have what the company does by chance or? Andrew? Cloud, cloud services. Cloud services. Okay. Okay. Oh, that's a, that's a, a double banger there, I would say. <laughs> healthcare and cloud. Oh, the people love to see that. So I think that's why there's a lot of kind of hype and momentum built into it. I'm glad you've done well on it, but I'm going to guess the target sell price on this business is going to be a little bit lower. I did want to look at uh, the stock does trade pretty lofty here. $330.42 close on Friday. The 52-week low is $235.74. Uh, the high is 343.96, so bumping up against that. They do have a big market cap of $50 billion, but that is because of that expensive uh, stock price that you currently have. Uh, let's take a look at the earnings going forward here. Uh, we do see going out to uh, 2023, I guess that'd be December 2023, uh, we see 22 analysts, so a lot of analysts follow this. They're looking for the average estimate of $3.99. Uh, put a multiple of, I can't use a 16.6 in my head, but uh, uh, just using 15, you'd be looking at, uh, what, $60 a share. So this is very, very expensive on that. Uh, let me see what else I can find out here for you. Uh, they did actually, uh, over the last uh, four quarters, they did beat every time. Uh, they beat by 12.5% uh, four quarters ago. Most recently, they reported, they should be having earnings coming up, I show here, uh, uh, April 29th, uh, they beat by 16.7. So that'd be probably pretty soon you're going to get the numbers coming out here. Yeah. And I was going to ask you, Andrew, is this a, is this in like an IRA account? Is it just in a normal investment account? Where, where is it? Just normal, normal okay. investment account. Yeah, yeah. So, and have you held it more than 12 months? Yeah. So I was trying to get the long, long-term capital gains. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was going to say, I mean, personally, uh, we're not growth investors. This is definitely a growth investment company uh, does not subscribe to the value philosophy whatsoever. I mean, it could go higher, but it's really playing more into that momentum trade. Um, I, I know personally, I, I, I would sell this company. It, it's very expensive. You've done well on it, yep. but I, I, I just, I'm concerned about how long can this growth last? And, you know, as I said, very well could go higher, but I, I think there's a, a lot of risk involved with it. And, and also, one thing I did notice, too, that 60 days ago, the earnings were $4.03 for the year ending 2023. Uh, they're now $3.99. So could it be peaking at the top? That's what up here. Percentage-wise, uh, how much does the makeup of your portfolio, Andrew? Oh, not much. Just a, just a small little chunk. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, I, you know, again, the way we invest and so forth, we would have to say, yes, it's a sell. Doesn't mean the stock won't go higher. But it is very, very expensive. Alrighty. Thank you, guys. Okay, Andrew, thanks for calling. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. That does open the phone line, 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. Let's talk about financial planning. For that, we're going to turn to our financial planner, Harrison Johnson. Good morning, Harrison. How are you doing this morning? Good morning, guys. I'm doing well. How are you doing? Good, good. I know today we got a very interesting topic talking about tax filing. 
versus tax planning. I, I think sometimes people think they are the same. Well, what's the big difference? You're going to explain that to us, correct? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I, I talk to a lot of people, and you know, a lot of what I focus on is tax planning. And so people say, oh, well, I've got a CPA. That's great. Most CPAs focus on tax filing. My dad's a CPA. I, I work with a lot of different CPAs, and again, they're concerned at looking at last year. All right, let's gather your W two. Let's get your ten ninety nine. What deductions are you eligible for? Those types of things. But it's looking at last year and actually filing your taxes. Um, tax planning is forward looking. So, what can we do this year, next year, five years down the road, ten years down the road? How can we we reduce your future tax liability? So, instead of filing taxes, it's more about actively making decisions to make sure that your future tax liability isn't too high. Um, in order to do that, we have to understand what your assets look like. Where are your assets? What does your income look like? How is that going to evolve over time? How is How could potentially tax laws change over time? Um, and so by understanding that, then we can say, well, what accounts should you be adding to? What assets should we focus on growing? How should we withdraw your income from different types of assets and different types of accounts? When is it appropriate to sell certain types of assets and how should we go about doing that? When should we focus on trying to convert things over to Roth? How can we avoid capital gain taxes? So in that sense, the real goal is then trying to increase your after-tax asset growth and after-tax um, income. So I, I, I think a, a kind of a easy easy way to break this down as well is, I mean, tax planning is really more future-looking, where the tax filing, it, it's it's in the past. I mean, it, it's done. You can't really do anything. I think people a lot of times go to the CPA and say, well, I don't want to pay much in taxes. Well, it's too late because you made all the decisions last year anyways. <laughs> that's exactly it. That's exactly right. Because, yeah, you file your taxes uh, April 15th for the, the uh, year before that. So um, in many cases, you know, there's not much you can do other than, like, putting a little bit of money in an IRA maybe. But, you know, you're kind of locked into that tax liability. And so people say, okay, my refund is whatever, or I owe this amount. Okay, that, that's kind of what you have to do. But if we can say, okay, that's great, but what? What can we do going forward to make sure that your taxes are as low as possible is, is really the benefit of tax planning. Yeah. And I, I think it is just so important that, that people understand that, well, your, your decisions have consequences. It seems like a lot of times people, they, they just make these decisions and think about it after. And I, I think this is the, the real value that you provide. You kind of provide that sounding board to help people say, well, this is going to be the impact of that decision. If you want to still do it, it's your money. You, you do what you want. But you, you tell people this is the impact of what happens. And I think a lot of times when people are doing this by themselves, they, they don't really think about the consequences, which is, is again, where, where you come into play. It, it happens a lot. I mean, sometimes people say, okay, well, I need I need $20,000. And, you know, okay, well, what does your tax situation look like this year? Can we wait until next year? What assets should we liquidate? What account should we withdraw from? Um, so, you know, there's a lot of things at play that a lot of people really don't take into account and um, there's there's tons of money on the table that can be gained or lost by making those right decisions, whether you need money or you don't need money or what the future income that you want to have, how are we going to withdraw that income, how are we going to set up a, a smart distribution plan from your assets to create that income. Um, and so, I mean, if you do it right, there's potentially hundreds of thousands of dollars to millions of dollars of tax liability that can be saved throughout your lifetime. If uh, you're structuring things the appropriate way. 
Yeah, and this, uh, here's why it's so important for people to have a financial planner because, again, you can actually plan things out as opposed to just account for the past and say, oh, well, that's the way it was, so I guess I'll just deal with it. No, try to figure out ways to make it better, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's really the whole point is how can we make it better? Right? I, I almost think it's like a, a company. I mean, they report earnings is they get audited. Well, they the, the accountants audit the books. The company doesn't come to them and say, well, how can we increase earnings at the end of the quarter? <laughs> I mean, it's already in the past. It's done. I mean, it's the same thing with the taxes, as you said. So uh, yeah. very, very, very important. Uh, I think it's a great topic that you brought up there for people to understand the difference. Yeah. Well, Harrison, thanks you very much. Uh, we'll see you on Monday. Thanks, guys. We'll see you Monday. Okay. Bye-bye. Again, that's uh, Harrison Johnson. Here's our financial planner, CFP, from Wilsey Asset Management. If you want a free consultation with him to sit down and talk about your whole situation, maybe you have a financial plan, you're not sure if it's really working, or maybe you don't have a financial plan, you want one, uh, give him a call for that uh, free consultation. 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. I'd like to speak directly to Harrison. If you want to go to our website, you can find them there on the website as well, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. All right, shoot. And I was just ready to go to June in San Diego. She had a banking question, and she hung up. So June, uh, give us a call back, uh, 866-577-2473. That's 866 577 Two four seven three. I know sometimes people call them in the store and stuff, and then they, they get up to the cashier like, oh, I got to go now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so June gives a call back. We'll talk to you. Uh, let's go out to Wayne in San Diego. Wayne, you're in the Smart Vest Show. Ben Chase, how can we help you? Morning, gentlemen. Uh, I'd like your opinion of the stock. The name is Five Below. It's like Dollar General and Dollar Tree, except their merchandise is $5 and below generally. Oh, Symbol is F-I-V-E. They're coming there's one. They're, they're coming into San Diego now. I was going to say that they um, they started kind of more East Coast, or was it? Um, right. Yeah, yeah, they're out of Philadelphia. Okay, yeah. I, I know but, they were quite big out there, and then they, they've kind of right. slowly been expanding across the country. Because um, I, I, I do think I, I saw one, gosh, off the freeway kind of there's one in Mir- There's one in Mira Mesa. Okay. They're, gonna build, they're opening one next month, supposedly, in Santee. Okay. If you go online, they sh- you can they sh- show you pictures of the stores. You know, it's real similar to a Dollar General, Dollar Tree. Yeah, yeah. You know, I five dollars is too expensive. You know, that, I like the dollar. <laughs> that's five times the yeah. cost. <laughs> I am very curious on this company. Uh, but let's look at the numbers first. JJ, you, you go ahead. I'll take the other side. Gosh, they sell their they sell their products at five times the cost, and it looks like like their valuations are five times oh. the price as well. <laughs> I mean, I, I look at the the current. So, so why is it trading at two hundred dollars a share? Is what I want to know. Yes. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I look at the, the valuations here. Very, very pricey to start. Current price to earnings, 54 times, which is below the industry average is 61. But but gosh, I mean, um, I said we looked to look, took, took a look at Dollar Tree yesterday. The valuation of that company, much, much stronger yeah. than 53. Uh, current price to sales, 5. Uh, also above the industry, a 3.4. Current price to tangible book value, well, that's 12.9, which is below the industry, a 17.7. But current price of cash flow, 40.6, also above the industry average of 27.6. Uh, I believe this company is still kind of in like growth mode, which is why you're seeing uh, higher valuations because there's no dividend for five below. And yes, here are the growth rates. Current sales over the last 12 months were up 40.2%, while the industry only climbed 30.6%, and earnings were up 126.6%. The industry, however, was up 250. 
3.5%. So didn't grow as fast as the industry, but but still a very strong number out there, obviously. Looking at the balance sheet, uh, very strong for five below. 1.7 is the current ratio above the industry of 1.2, and, and no debt on the balance sheet. Absolutely zero. That, that's but a how do they do there. expansion? How do they do expansion? Well, they could be using stock to perhaps do it. They could be doing it through cash flows, um, cash on hand. I, I don't know enough about the, the balance sheet. To yeah, they could of, be leasing the buildings. Wouldn't that be buildings. a valid question? Oh, yeah. that would definitely be a valid yeah. question. Um, I, and that's also a great point. They could be doing leases as well, as Brent said, where you know you don't have to come yeah. up with as much CapEx to get it. Yeah, you just got to get the merchandise, which right. uh, if you're selling things under $5, your merchandise, I'm hoping, <laughs> is only going to be at maximum. Under like, a buck? Yeah, it should be at maximum $4 <laughs> is what you're paying. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I can't imagine the inventory would be too expensive. So I, they could expand quite quickly. At a, at a reasonable cost without having to use debt to fuel that. And I, I will say, I think while the growth rates have been strong, I mean, they haven't pushed nationally at a rapid pace. I know Five Below has been around for years now. It's not like they're everywhere. So I, right. I think they might have done a methodical where they're able to use that cash flow to kind of done it, do it over time. Yeah. And I think they plan to open like 170 stores nationwide this year. Yeah, and sometimes slow growth is good because they are growing yeah, well. Yeah. I, I did see on Friday their stock did close at $214.66. It was down $9.81, down 4.37%. So something may have came out bad on Friday. Yeah, Morgan Stanley downgraded the whole sector because of valuation and margins getting pressured because of shipping costs. Yep. So yep. Dollar Tree and Dollar General, everybody was down 5 to 10%. Yep. I do see the range for the stock is a low of 108.51, the high is 237.66. When I looked at the numbers going forward, we've got uh, let me see, we've got uh, 23 analysts saying the year ending December 2023, they're looking for earnings of $5.67 with a multiple $90 stock. What's that? <laughs> Yeah, but maybe a $90 stock, $94.12 is what it comes up with. Yeah. So that's yeah. not very exciting there uh, on that. And again, we kind of know it's overvalued. Uh, we do look, they have done well meeting the estimates or passing the estimates. The last quarter they reported was uh, April 29th. Uh, they did beat it by 35%. So it means we'll be seeing another quarter coming up pretty soon. Maybe they won't do quite as well there. Looking at the estimates 90 days ago, they actually are increasing. 90 days ago, they expected earnings at 512, now 567. So this is when you get into problems. Yeah. I, Sam Adams comes to mind uh, where they yeah. started missing their estimates and the stock began to fall dramatically. I think Sam Adams, I think it's down now probably 50%, uh, maybe more, uh, because the market just couldn't handle it and it, it, the earnings started to go down. So the same thing here. Uh, it's just too expensive for us and yeah. great company. I will check it out. I do like the dollar better than the $5. I know I will, I can fill my <laughs> basket with the dollar stuff, but $5 stuff, maybe only half, you know, so, but, <laughs> they try to pre uh, specialize in the teen tween market. You know what I mean? Oh, well, that doesn't uh, fit me, product. does it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, but that's okay. Maybe the seniors will will roll over, you know what I mean? Yeah, that could <laughs> Start <be>. again. <laughs> well, Wayne, obviously, it's not a buy for us. It's a sell. You said you hold it? Uh, you No, no, I just saw the numbers yesterday, and I was just curious because yeah. I couldn't get all the numbers that you guys have access to, and I looked it up. So. Yeah. Anyway, I appreciate it. Well, Wayne, thanks for calling. Have a good one. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. All right. Uh, that does open the phone line, 866 Five seven seven two four seven three. That's eight six six five seven seven two four seven three. You know, you brought up Sam Adams. Yeah, you're right. It's about five hundred and eighty-five dollars a share now. 
And the 52 week high, gosh, 1349, wow. $1,349. So yeah. it's been cut more than half. And uh, it is interesting as well that we did, a, again, one of our YouTube segments on uh, Sam Adams here pretty recently. And it fell to, gosh, about seven, 700, I'll call it. Mm-hmm. Like, the numbers still don't justify it. No. And no. it's continued to fall now about $115 further. And that's what happens with growth companies. And, you know, people often associate growth with tech. Growth companies can occur in, in any sector. I mean, you just talk about five below. Yeah. You want to associate a discount retailer <laughs> as a growth company, <laughs> but it is. Yeah. And what happens with growth companies is what happens Sam Adams is there were more entrants into the field. You know, people came into it on the hard seltzer market and now Truly, which was owned by Sam Adams, well, less people are buying Truly because there's more out there. Yep. And all of a sudden that growth dissipates. And when that growth doesn't mean it's bad growth, you could still outgrow at a very nice rate. But if it doesn't meet expectations, that's where the problems come into play. Oh my gosh, the growth isn't the same. Then the stock starts to fall. Then people start to question, well, it, it was growing and the, the stock price just kept mm-hmm. going up. So how's the stock falling? And actually, we hold a beverage company in our portfolio, and we were kind of concerned about that. But when we read the quarterly report, actually, they said, no, they're actually growing on their hard seltzers. So, again, that could be the expense. And I remember talking about in the office, like, that's probably the expense of Sam Adams because they took the lead. But this is why you just don't overpay for things because the, the, the decline is just huge. Now, value companies, we tell people, yes, they're going to go down. They may go down 10, 15, maybe 20%. But again, Sam Adams being down, I guess, over 50%, I yep. guess, yeah. So um, that, that's why we don't like growth companies. And also, too, growth companies, where does it end? You yep. know, I mean, at least we have a discipline, and we'll, we'll never sell at the absolute top by the absolute bottom. But And actually, tomorrow in my KOSI segment at 840 in the morning, I'm actually talking about that psychology of investing, which really hurts people more than they realize. And I'm going to show some of the things they use to justify why they're holding on to these high-priced stocks, and it just doesn't work well. Uh, but it's hard. I mean, that, that's why you've got to have a discipline. That's why you've got to have a fundamental analysis, too, because you're not going to be right all the time, and things are not going to go up every single day. But when you see something drop, and actually when we see many things drop, we might say, wait, let's buy more. Or a growth company, uh, I don't know. Gee, would you buy Sam Adams now? I know I wouldn't. Well, and this is what we said with the the problem with growth companies when they start to fall is now growth investors aren't interested in them because the growth has dissipated. But if they've grown too far beyond reasonable valuations, well, it's going to take a while for value investors to be interested in it as yeah. well because that's what we said with Sam Adams. He said the values still aren't there. So at one point, at what point will the bottom ensue when – value investors would be interested in that company. Yeah, you got that 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 period where nobody really likes the company. Yeah. Value don't like it, growth don't like it. So yeah, so everybody kind of gets out of it. So you got to wait to see which direction it's going to go. But it's just something that you have to look at. And, and, and again, well, I, I, I started doing this, what, 40 years ago and realized that, gee, value is a way to go because it gives you, and I never get emotional about it. No. I, I've seen people with growth companies that get so crazy, like, oh, why, why is this happening and so forth? Well, it's because it's overpriced and you don't know where the bottom or the top is on it. So be careful with growth investing. So, yeah. all right, going to wrap up the first hour here. Uh, we do have Tim on hold in San Diego. You'll be up next. You want to call in 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. You're listening to Smart Investing Show with Brent Chase. Stay with us. We'll be right back after this quick break. 
righty. Welcome back to the second half of the Smart Investing Show. Yes, we have phone lines open, 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. Uh, do we not have Facebook up? Nothing on Facebook at all. We do. Uh, we just actually got one question on it. Oh, we did? Okay. Well, I promise to go to Tim in San Diego. So let's do Tim first, and then we'll go to the Facebook uh, question there. Sounds so, good. All right. All right. Let's go to uh, San Diego. Let's speak with Tim. Tim, you're on the Smart Vegetable with Brent and Chase. How can we help you? Morning, guys. I was wondering if you could look at uh, California water. It seems to provide drinking water and uh, utilities up to Northern California. Okay. So it's not a water bottle company. It actually does water through pipes and everything else. Is that correct? Yeah, it seems to be a utilities company. Okay. All right, Chase. So, yep. Chase, what do you got in the numbers over there, Al? That's right. We flip-flopped. We flip-flopped. Flop, yeah. <laughs> we just <laughs> talked about it. And <laughs> I had the, uh, you were waiting for me to do it. I ain't, yeah. got, I ain't got the numbers <laughs> on that. All right. So looking at California Water Service Group, again, the, the ticker symbol here is CWT. Uh, current price to earnings. Wow, this is expensive. 74.9 is that ratio, uh, about double the industry average of 37.5. Current price to sale, uh, that is a positive there. 3.8 below the industry average of 7.2. Current price to tangible book value of 3.4, also below the industry average of 5.5. And current price to cash flow of 21.9, below the industry of 22.1. So it's just the earnings that, that are, I'd say, really, really elevated compared to the industry. I wonder if there are some accounting issues that occurred that, that drove up that ratio. You do get a dividend with California Water Service of 1.5%. Dividend payout ratio, however, is 105.5%. And, and again, this is telling me that, that likely it could be from some accounting uh, you might want to check the cash flow to make sure they can sustain that dividend. Uh, sales growth over the last 12 months up 20.2% above the industry is 16.3%. And earnings growth over the last 12 months of 149.5%, also above the industry average of 39.6%. Turning to the balance sheet, uh, looks okay. Uh, current ratio of 0.8, uh, same as the industry average of 0.8. Debt to equity of 121.4%. Uh, below the industry average of 129%, but uh, 121 is starting to push that kind of limit. I, I will say utilities normally, they are a higher debt industry, so uh, I, I'm not going to say I'm okay with it, but uh, would want to understand it more. Uh, management effectiveness return on capital, uh, 1.4, that's not very strong. And return on equity, 4.7. I'm hoping this company had some accounting that, that did change the numbers because the, the earnings could have a huge impact on all these numbers I'm covering. Profit margin of 4.9%, well below the industry of 19.3. And receivable turnover 17.4, exceeds the industry average 10.6. And inventory turnover of 33, well above the industry average of 9.1. Yeah, and looking at uh, where the stock, uh, that's what it is, because I was just uh, I would always tell you, Chase, so what do you think about the numbers no. going forward? You, you just kind of leave me hanging there is what you <laughs> Well, sometimes you just take over. <laughs> I know. Well, yeah. It's like, <laughs> uh, taking a look at uh, California Water Services Group, symbol CWT, we do see that their 52-week range is $41.19. The high, $65.99, did close just under the high on Friday at $63 a share. Uh, looking at earnings going out to, let's see, they're going out to uh, December 2022. Only have five analysts. Uh, that's probably the minimum I'd want. Uh, they're saying that the earnings will be $1.90. Looking at a multiple of 16.6 gives me a target sell price of $31.54, which is not 
very good comparatively. I do want to check one other thing here. The earnings are actually rising. They were $1.86 uh, a year ago. I'm sorry, 90 days ago now, $1.90. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's just, and, and I want to get a water company here, Tim. I, I want to find one that's on sale because I think it's a good thing to have. But they all seem to be so darn expensive, and I just can't justify it. And I, 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 I'm looking at the numbers here. I thought we would see some accounting impact on those earnings. I, I'm not seeing anything. It, it just yeah. looks like the, the earnings aren't that strong for the company. Yeah. And, and everybody, I think, knows, like, yeah, water companies are great because you need water, but you got to be careful about overpaying for them. And, and I'm, I'm sorry, Tim, I forgot. You said you, said you hold this or looking to buy it? No, just looking looking yeah. to try and get into the water companies, and it seems like everything seems to be overpriced. So, yeah, you know, I've been following it for a while, but it's like, uh, you know, I'd like like to know about a public desalinization company. That'd be awesome to find out about. You know, that was coming out to the West Coast. Well, and I've actually I've actually looked at a couple of those, and and unfortunately, they're all overpriced. So, water companies are just they're just washed up. Well, not maybe not washed up, but. They're just expensive. I don't know what to say. I can't find one on sale. Yeah. So but maybe what could happen is that uh, we will have some correction down the road. Maybe you can find one then. But I, I've not been able to find a good water company. And again, we'll, and we sell at sixteen point six. We want to find one around ten to twelve time earnings. That's that's the hard part. So, all right, Tim. All right, guys. Well, I appreciate it. Have a good weekend. You too. Thanks for calling. Bye. Bye bye. All right. That is open the phone line eight six six. Five seven seven two four seven three. That's eight six six five seven seven two four seven three. We do have all phone lines open now. And gosh, June on the banking question never called back. She must have had to. Yeah, must have had to run. Maybe she had to go to work or something. I, I don't know. So maybe she was in line at the bank. That could have been. That could have been. <laughs> yeah, banks are open on still. They're still open on Saturday morning. Uh, I think most are. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, we can turn to. Uh, Facebook, Facebook here, yeah, and, to Facebook, um, yeah. uh, look at Frederick here. He wants to take a look at mankind. Uh, not a lot of information, just pretty straight to the point. Just curious uh, what our thoughts are on mankind corporation. And I believe this is the staffing company. Am I correct? I, I know that I know that's manpower. No, I think this is the is uh, cannabis company. I believe this is the ah, that is correct. Yeah. This is the cannabis company because there is a, a a man something that that's uh, a staffing there's, company. There's manpower. That is manpower. Okay, and I know there's a power bar that's called mankind too. Ah. Oh really? Oh okay. Well, you know what? I'm gonna kind of look at what this company does. Why I think you're you're doing that? So yeah. Let's okay. Well, here. let's take a look here for the numbers. I believe this is the cannabis company. Uh, Mankind Corporation. Again, ticker symbol here is MNKD. Uh, current price to earnings multiple, not material there. Current price to sales is 16.5, above the industry average of 10.4. No book value, no cash flow. Uh, that's concerning. I, I hope that they just haven't released the cash flow statement because not to have cash flow is concerning, but I, I know looking at the cannabis company a few years ago, I mean, the numbers were horrendous for these. Uh, distribution companies. Yep. Uh, no dividend sales growth over the last 12 months. Well, that's up 20.3%. Industry average, well, that's 38.4%. Earnings, though, wow. Last 12 months down 70.5%. Industry was up 45.6%. Current ratio, well, that's about three. Uh, same as the industry average, 3.5. So liquidity is strong there, but no equity. So you, you can't get a total debt to equity there. We want to look closer to the balance sheet, see what they have in debt. Return on capital, that's negative with negative earnings. And return on equity with negative earnings. 
profit margin, well, it's negative 115.6%. So they are losing a ton of money. I don't like to see that. Receivable turnover, 12.6 above the industry average of 5. And inventory turnover, 5.1 above the industry average, 2.1. And turning to Brent, what do we got going forward <laughs> I was gonna here sit here and wait to see. for Mankind Corporation? <laughs> well, we were all wrong. You, myself, and Brendan, all wrong. This is not a uh, cannabis company, not an employment company, not a bar company. It is a, pharma- a biopharmaceutical company is what they actually are. Uh, they focus on the development and com- commercialization of inhaled therapeutic products, primarily inhaled insulin used to improve glycemic control in adults with diabetes. So that's why you got some strange numbers because it's uh, one of these higher risk biopharmaceutical companies. Let's look at some numbers going forward here with this company to see if I can find uh, if they do have earnings going forward because in the past it sounds like not not very well here. Uh, we do see there's five analysts that follow this company. Oh, and by the way, the, the price is $4.91. Uh, we do see that uh, the 52-week high and low on this has been a high of $6.25 and a low of $1.56. But as I said, looking forward, going out to December of 2022, five analysts, unfortunately, they're saying that this company will lose 17 cents uh, going forward. Now, I, I do want to see some trends here to see what they have here. Uh, we do see that uh, nine days ago, they expect to lose nine cents, getting worse, looking for a loss of seven, uh, 17 cents, as I said. Uh, they missed their earnings last quarter by 25 cents. Uh, December, they missed by... Uh, 50%, uh, and they haven't even reported out there. The quarter does end June 30th. The numbers still don't appear to be out. Did the show Reuters for uh, anything? What was the numbers you read for? How did you go on? Uh, I'm sorry. What was your question? Uh, were the numbers you gave, were they for June 30th or were they for March 30th? Let me check real quick. Yeah. I was looking at the company comparison. Uh, they're for June 30th, 2021. Okay, so they they probably just reported here then, yeah. And and, and I did want to look at, too, the market cap of this company. I imagine it's, well, $1.2 billion. Not, not large, but not tiny. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's, it's the same thing. You're waiting to see how this drug does and so forth. Um, I wouldn't want to play it in this market. Because I, I like companies that are developing things but are making money. I mean, this company going out uh, December 2022, I'm going to lose what I say, 17 cents. I, I I just can't justify this. And again, if it does well, I mean, the stock could go to 25 or 50, be huge returns. But on the other hand, too, and I think you said that they had no debt, which was good, I believe you said. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, but, no, no, actually, no, they, they didn't have a debt to equity because there was no equity. No equity. Okay. Yeah. So that, that can be very dangerous. So no, very high risk, more of a gamble, I would say, than an investment. Not to say it won't go up, but I would not uh, invest in this. All righty. Phone number is 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. Let's go up to Temecula and speak with John. John, you're the Smart Vegetable, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Hey, guys. How are you doing today? Good. How are you doing? Fantastic. Thanks. Hey, I've been looking at, uh, you know, I've done real well with uh, Prudential, and I'm looking at a couple other insurance companies and trying to get um, a little more into that space. So I'm looking at uh, CNA Financial and wondering what your thoughts are on that. Okay. Uh, yeah, and actually insurance companies do pretty well. There's kind of a, like a slow grower many times, but we like insurance companies. Uh, Chase, what do you got for the numbers uh, in the past here? Yeah, and no, I, I uh, definitely think we had a conversation in the office this weekend. We, we just love insurance companies because well, 
you think about it, they're really built to win. And I, I, I'm, what I mean by that is they have all these actuary tables where they're pricing the insurance so it's favorable to them, where basically it's you know to help people in a catastrophic state, but they still price the insurance that they come out ahead. So yep. I, I like I like the insurance business. It's 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 a useful tool for people, but it also is a, a very profitable business many times. So but John, we we do have a warning for you. When you invest in these type of companies, you go to a party, you're not gonna be hit at the party. <laughs> you're gonna be the guy that what you're buying an insurance company. So I want something exciting, not insurance companies, but you make money with this. Jay's going yeah, ahead. so <laughs> let's take a look at CNA Financial with that said. Uh ticker symbol again, CNA. Current price to earnings here, 9.5. It is above the industry average, 9.3, but gosh, less than 10 times earnings. That, that is a good value. Uh, current price to sales, 1.0. That is below the industry average of 1.2. Current price to tangible book value, 0.96. Also below the industry average of 1.45. And gosh, you're paying less than $1 for the tangible assets of a company. I mean, that, that's... That's a pretty darn good value there. Uh, current price to cash flow, nine, uh, above the industry average of eight. Uh, so again, slightly higher, but nothing that I'd be concerned with. A dividend yield here, you get a nice dividend of 3.4%, and they use just 48% of their earnings to pay that out. That tells me that it's likely quite sustainable. Perhaps it could even increase it as an earnings could likely grow over time. Sales growth. Over the last 12 months, we've seen a gain of 10.5%, slightly below the industry average, 12.4%, and earnings growth of 172%. Weird number here for the industry, up 747.5%. But uh, again, not as good as the industry, but that's a very, very strange number. And also to have your earnings grow 172% while your sales were up 10.5%. We'd want to see what happened on the accounting side of that earnings growth. Looking at the balance sheet, no current ratio as it is a financial business. Total debt to equity at 21.9%. Uh, again, a little bit different accounting for insurance companies, but uh, tells me there's really probably not much concern there uh, with the the leverage that this business has. Uh, no return on capital. Return on equity at 10.5%. I'd, I'd like to see that a little bit higher there. Profit margin, 11% compared to 12.8% for the industry average. And no receivable turnover or inventory turnover for the business. Uh, Brent, what's the, what are things looking like going forward? And, you know, I knew this name looked familiar. This is our insurance company. I write them a check every month. So that's when I saw CNA. Why is that so familiar? I'm sitting here thinking, yeah. I, the name did sound familiar. I was like, <laughs> CNA, yeah. <laughs> well, we do, we do see that the stock did close on um, uh, Friday. It closed at $44.35, up $0.48, uh, cents, which is about a dollar. A dollar, one one point one percent. We do see the fifty-two week range, a low of twenty-eight thirty-seven, a high of forty-nine uh, and eight cents. So it is kind of bumping on that that higher side there. The market cap for CNA Financial Corporation is twelve billion dollars, which is a pretty good number there. Looking out going forward to December of two thousand twenty-two, we do see uh, we have four analysts. They say they're looking for a mean estimate of four dollars and forty-one cents. I did look here to uh, the range because a low estimate of four fifteen, high of four sixty, so just about in the middle, which is good. But what is nice about this, it gives you a nice target sell price of seventy-three dollars and twenty cents, and and I, I like seeing something like this. It's it's again, it's not going to be exciting. It's not going to have some great new development, but you're going to have this nice growth year year in and year out. Doesn't mean the stock's going to go up every single year. But nice growth with that. And I do see that they always do seem to surpass their estimates. I mean, last quarter they surpassed at 9%, then 24%, 18%. This is what you like in a company. Uh, and again, we have a stock market correction coming up. This will go down, but it will come back. So I, I like this company. Could even be a, 
a good one to look at for our portfolio. And, and I did you see, um, I was just curious on the products. I know we use them for our, our business here. Uh, it does look like they do other property and casualty, um, including, you know, general liability, umbrella, mm-hmm. cyber. They also have cyber, which, uh, you know, could be a, a growing good. field, yeah. likely, especially if you see more cyber attacks. People are well, looking at a lot of them. Isn't the company that we use for our cyber insurance? I think that's what we use. Could be. Yeah. 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 Um, I know. I thought we used them for just uh, other business I read them a big check, it seems like, every month like that. <laughs> <laughs> but, but my point being here, John, I, I would just want to understand, are, are they more business focus because that could actually be a, a nice diversifier you know we, we do have an insurance company in the portfolio already that kind of focuses more on the property and casualty for individuals businesses i do think uh, again <laughs> having a lawsuit heavy society people need insurance so yeah. i i mean i i i think it, it could be an interesting company that could be a different type of insurance than than uh, you know your traditional you know car insurance companies like Mercury, you know, Allstate, Progressive, uh, say farm companies like that. So I, I, I think it, it could be interesting here. And, and John, I got to ask you, I think you mentioned you already have one insurance company. Uh, how many yeah. insurance companies do you have in the portfolio? That I've just got Prudential okay. um, is the one I, as one I have, and I'm, I'm in it like $40. So I'm, I'm real happy there. Um, Cause that's like an 11%, you know, dividend for me down at that price. Oh yeah. So, um, and so, uh, and so I've, you know, I've looked at safety. I looked at this, uh, uh, safety corporation, um, and this one, and this one's kind of leading to me. Safety might be a little small for, for me. It's a, it's a small cap, but it's, um, it's probably, you know, I'm, I'm half and half in ETFs and stocks. And so, you know, it's probably about potential is probably about 4%. I'm, I've been looking at this for a couple of weeks now, looking in the, in the insurance Mm-hmm. realm for a few weeks just trying to to figure out another way to go and uh chase to your point you know all businesses have to have insurance right i mean the lenders require it the mm-hmm. landlords require mm-hmm. it you know everybody requires it so it's a, i think it's a great spot to be mm-hmm. yeah and if you have any type of business i i know i would not want to be without insurance i mean it, it could wipe you out and all of a sudden everything you worked for for 20 years is gone so yeah you need the insurance and, and i will tell, say I, i'm just sitting here thinking about the cyber insurance mm-hmm. it's kind of two twofold uh we know a lot more people are going to need the cyber insurance but how effective are these companies going to be at the kind of actuary tables of insurance costs yeah i mean we do know that i mean we've seen some major hits here lately if insurance companies have to pay out a ton of money or the cyber insurance, it could ding them more. And the positive side of that is they'd likely increase their prices. Yeah, so, could that be like the long-term care situation where insurance companies got in trouble because unfortunately, or fortunately, I should say, people were living longer and therefore their tables were incorrect. So it could be the same thing on the, the cyber. Yeah. So ho- hopefully not because that's going to be terrible for the country. Yeah. But yeah, so, I mean, but yeah. we still like this company quite a bit. I mean, and then you got to kind of look to see well, how much of the cyber insurance takes, you know, part of it mm-hmm. uh, and, and so forth. So we, we, we like it, John. Yeah, great. Now, you know, I think on that cyber insurance, you know, uh, my assumption, I think, is is that they require companies to have certain, um, you know, uh, firewalls, right, yes. uh, in their systems. And so, you know, I think it helps minimize the risk a little bit. So, yeah. um, but we'll see. Well, great. I appreciate your thoughts on it. Okay, John. Thanks for calling. Have a great one. Uh-huh. Take care. Bye-bye. <clears throat> All right. That does open the phone line, 866 577 Two four seven three. That's eight six six five seven seven two four seven three. Let's go down to Bonita and speak with Milt. Milt, you're the smart vegetable, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Yeah, 
Good, good morning, guys. I always appreciate your show. You have good information, rock-solid stuff. And uh, the question I have is on uh, Smith & Wesson, S-W-B-I. Okay, and do you hold that or looking to buy it? Yes, I do. All righty. Well, let's see what we got here, Chase. Yeah, well, let's take a look at the numbers here for Smith & Wesson Brands Incorporated. A current price-to-earnings multiple of 5.5, well below the industry average of 22 Current price of sales of 1.11. Well, that's also below the industry average of 1.97. Price of tangible book value standing at 4.8, below the industry average 17.4. And price to cash flow 4.3, also below the industry average 17.2. So I, I'm loving what I'm seeing here in terms of the valuations, Milt. A dividend yield of 1.3%. And, and wow, this is strange. Use just 3.4% of their earnings to pay off that dividend. Uh, I'm curious yeah. if they had some type of accounting on the earnings to the upside because that is such a small payout, but still a, yeah. a, a decent yield. So I, I'd want to look right. at that dividend a little bit further. Uh, sales, wow, over the last 12 months, up 100%. Uh, industry was up 41.5%. And earnings growth, 787.3%, while the industry was up 713.9%. Uh, again, some very, very strong growth rates there for Smith & Wesson. Current ratio, 2.1%. Better than the industry average of 1.9. Debt to equity of 14.97, also below the industry of 49.9%. That is a positive. Return yeah. on capital for the company, 52.9. Return on equity, 74.5. I mean, these numbers are just, wow. Profit margin, 23%. Well above the industry average of 8.9. Receivable turnover, 16.5. Above the industry of 14.2. And inventory turnover, 6.7. Above the industry average of 5.4, not a single negative mark on these company uh, numbers compared to the industry mm. average. So with that, uh, how are things looking going forward for Smith & Wesson? Chase, you may have mentioned it. I may have missed it. But uh, Smith & Wesson, people may not know it's a gun manufacturer. So we're yes. making sure that people know that because that's why the, the big growth here. Uh, they did close on Friday at $24.42, up $0.17. Cents. Uh, the 52-week range is a low of 14.50, a high of 39.61. So it has pulled back from the highs, which I kind of like seeing that because I did think it got kind of pricey there. Uh, looking forward, I, I want to see if I can get real quick because uh, you know Roland didn't mention about the 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 uh, peg ratio. Unfortunately, I clicked on the peg ratio, uh, nothing there. So let's look at the earnings going forward uh, because we do see now this is disappointing here. Uh, they're obviously on a fiscal year. Uh, we have, for 2023, only two analysts that followed this, and that's very disappointing uh, because we'd like to have at least four or five, but I'll, I'll go with what we have here. They give an average estimate of $1.90. Uh, and let me do the math on, on that. Uh, you know what? I'm using my calculator here on my phone. So $1.90 times 16.6 uh, equals 31.54. So you still got some room to grow on that. I, I think even a buy uh, is, is still there on it, but keep in mind only two analysts. One says he's looking for earnings of a dollar seventy-one. Another says two dollars and nine cents. And just kind of look at some other numbers here. We do see that ninety days ago the estimate for that period was a dollar forty-four. Now it's at a dollar ninety, so that's positive. Uh, they have done very well, surprising on the earnings every quarter for the last four quarters. The worst surprise was forty-seven percent. So I like this company. It is a unique company because it is a gun manufacturer. I don't know if they uh, also uh, make the bullets and stuff for the guns or not. I don't know if they do them munitions or not. Yeah, I, I was going to say this is something that concerns me. You know, a, kind of a point of caution mm -hmm. is 
April of 2021, the company made $4.54. That was compared to 2020 when they made $0.82. Cents. Right. Astronomical growth. 2022, they're looking to uh, pretty close to sustaining that, about $4.23. But April 2023, as you said, $1.90. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that's a huge cut. I, I worry that, you know, kind of once you go get your guns, I mean, it, there's not that reoccurring revenue stream. There, there's no, like, service that Smith & Wesson provides. That, at least I don't know of any that they provide for that kind of reoccurring revenue yeah, stream. That's why they'd be important to kind of look. If they do make munitions, so that would help for revenue, kind of like when you have, like, a truck maker that we had made the trucks but also repaired the trucks and parts and so forth. If Smith & Wesson doesn't do that, <clears throat> I would say it's not a good buy because— you know, how many guns, I, I know some people have four or five, six guns, but that's the the rarity, not the normal. So I, I am not too excited about that as we talk that through unless they're making the bullets for the guns as well. All right, Mel? Yeah, I, I appreciate your information. Thank you so much. All righty. Thanks for calling. Have a good one. Okay, you too. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. All right. <clears throat> that does open the phone line, 866-577-2473. That's 866 866- Five seven seven two four seven three. Let's go up to Oceanside and speak with Michael. Michael, you're on the Smart Vegetable Brent Chase. How can we help you? How you doing? Um, <clears throat> I bought Alibaba right after it came out, and you know I picked it up at ninety two bucks. It had a nice run, close to three hundred. And I know there's a lot of tension with China right now, but um. What's your take on that? It's down to around 160. It's taken a beating. And, you know, I'm, 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 I heard what you said about growth stocks, and um, I just wanted to feel your take on this and, you know, others like Tennyson and what's going on right now okay. and, and if you have any insight. Yeah, let's take a look at some numbers, and then we'll kind of talk about it a little bit. Yeah, so uh, Alibaba, <laughs> we talked about Alibaba here. Uh, recently on our, our YouTube channel, and I, we were saying, I just like saying the name, it's fun. <laughs> Alibaba. So, looking at the current price to earnings for Alibaba, 19.22. I mean, that's very strong compared to the industry average of 49.1. Just kind of give you a reference point. Amazon trades at 58 times earnings. Uh, current price to sales, 3.65, slightly ahead of the industry at 2.5. Current price to tangible book value, 4.5, well below the industry average, 16.3. Current price to cash flow, 15.9, also compares favorably to the industry average, 23.4. No dividend from Alibaba. Sales, well, those have been strong, up 40.2% over the last 12 months compared to an industry average of 22.9%. However, earnings, I'm kind of surprised by this, down 18.1%, while the industry climbed 134.4%. So curious, they're just doing a lot of investing. Yeah, this is a foreign company. How are they accounting for different expenses? It might not be a CapEx expenditure. It might just be an operating expenditure, which is driving down the income run and the cash flow. So very curious on how you grow sales 40%, but earnings decline 18%. That's a very strange combination. Looking at the balance sheet, that is very, very strong for Alibaba. 1.7 is that current ratio above the industry average of 1.2. Debt to equity of 15.3%. Very strong compared to the industry of 66.7%. Return on capital looks good at 11.4. And return on equity also looks good at 16.5. Profit margin, 16.5%. Well above the industry average, 5%. That's a very, very good margin for an online retailer. I know they do other things as well, I believe, but um, you know, like to see see that strong number. 
Uh, receivable turnover, nothing there, and inventory turnover, nothing there as well. So uh, numbers look strong for Alibaba, I'd say, overall. What, what are we looking at going forward? Well, uh, take a look at what I did on Friday, and, and again, the, the uh, decline continues here because it was a one fifty nine uh, forty seven a dollar one hundred fifty nine dollars and forty seven cents on Friday, down five dollars and seventy seven cents. The fifty two week range, we're very close to that low at one fifty two eighty. The high was three hundred nineteen dollars and thirty two cents, so just about down that fifty percent range. They do have a market cap of $436 billion, so a very large company. Now, I very rarely look at this, but it just popped out at me. These are the analysts. This is the one-year estimate for the target price. They say $1,784. I, I think they need to kind of do a little more research. Is that, that. in one? I mean, like, <laughs> you know, yeah. I, it, 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 it could be. But right now, look at all dollars. So I don't know why that would be in one. But yeah, uh, yeah that was just like uh, those analysts need to maybe, or unless they're really seeing something we're not. Does have a peg ratio of 1.63, which is pretty positive. Looking at the earnings going forward. I do see now a nice number here. 31 analysts. Uh, they say that they're looking for earnings of $73.09 here. And if I take a multiple of 16.6 on that, uh, I do get $1,213. So uh, that is at 16.6. And, and the thing to understand here, Michael, is this is an ADR. Yep. So the way an ADR works, it kind of lumps together uh, different packages, essentially, of, of foreign listed stock. So I, I, I'm speculating here. I, I don't think we're going to have 10 yeah. times growth on that, just especially using the earnings uh, multiples that we've seen, the sales multiples that we've seen. So I, I, I'm guessing that is in the Chinese yuan calculation, not the U.S. dollars. And, you know, from Yahoo Finance, I'm getting some very strange numbers because 90 days ago it said the earnings were $12.05. As I said, now $73.09. There's something going on here. I'm not, I'm not going to depend on these numbers, uh, Michael, because they're crazy. But even with that, even if we had all good numbers, I still can't get over the fact that this is a Chinese company. We know there's crazy things going on. Earlier in the show we talked about is China watching what we're doing in Afghanistan. I mean, w w are they going to make decisions to go in and, and change all things? It, w it would just worry me right now to invest in a, uh, a Chinese company because relations with China right now, who knows what they are? And, and there's a couple other things that just scares the heck out of me with these Chinese companies. Number one is they, they've talked a lot about the data. And, and the government basically says, it's not your data, it's our data. And they kind of have control over it. Yeah. Number two, I, I mean, Jack Ma was a superstar. Where is he? Several years ago. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I haven't, I haven't seen no. or heard from him, especially in the capacity that, that he was out there before. Yeah, it's you know, on CNBC and Fox Business, every place. Yeah. yeah. And, and then uh, thirdly is, is just the, the accounting. And, and we've seen this before with Chinese companies. And I, I bring up the story of Luckin Coffee, where they completely fudged the numbers on the accounting side and it wasn't until analysts here in the United States were able to kind of look at the, I don't want to say heat maps, and saying mm -hmm. nobody's going to the stores. Right. And they were able to kind of filter through the accounting. And sure enough, it was fraudulent accounting. So I, I just, there's a lot that concerns me with China. The, the numbers could be great, and if everything falls into place with Alibaba, it, it, it could be a great winner. I'm going to say that. But also, too, there, there's just so much, I'm going to say, political risk with this company. Yeah. Way more than any other other type of company. And, and Michael, I think you said you bought the IPO. What did you pay for it back then? 92 bucks. It was shortly after it yeah. came out, it dropped and then it, you know, it bounced back up. I kind of caught it on the way up. Yeah. Cause I, I, I mean, so you got it at 92, so you still have a decent profit in it. And how long ago was that? How many years ago was that, that, that came out? Ooh, 
maybe five years. Yeah, I mean, it's still probably, I'm going to say, maybe a 10, 12% uh, annual return. It, it's just, you know, and the sad part is it's down 50% about from where the highs were. Like, gosh, you had such a great profit on it. Now that's gone. Uh, I couldn't sleep at night with what's going on around the world holding a Chinese company at this point in time. I, I, I'm I recommending to take the profit. And, and tomorrow I talked about my KSI segment. I'll kind of be talking about that. It's one of the psychologies of investing is that we overprice what we hold. So I don't know if you're watching TV around 8.40 tomorrow morning, but I'll talk more about that. Uh, a great study that was done. And, and I think, unfortunately, it happened to you that, gosh, you know, and the question is, why didn't you sell them as 300? Well, you probably thought it's going to 600 is my guess. But, um, <laughs> you know, that's, that's what we're, we're kind of told. So, but um, it, there's just too many questions on this to hold. I, I would take the profits and, 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 and be happy with that. Yeah. I don't really trust China. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, <laughs> do you want to hold one of their companies then? You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, I did have one other question for sure. you. I'm trying, I'm 60 years old. I'm trying to get out of higher risk stuff and okay. into, be higher yielding. Uh, I know the high yield, low volatility dividend stocks have, have performed fairly nicely and they're a lot safer. I was looking at SPHD and SPHD. PYD, which is Invesco and Spiders, high dividend type, low yield ETF. And I'm, I'm wondering what you think between the two of those, which might be a good avenue. And if that's a safe bet right now going into inflation and, and getting some safety and some high dividend yield stocks, especially an ETF, which may have a blend. Yeah, I, I'd be very careful of those. We don't use those. Again, we use individual management because you just don't know sometimes what's going on behind the scenes. Some ETFs, some mutual funds could be using options to try and enhance that return, try to get better. Uh, I, I just don't like the whole group investing. I mean, it's what we do for our clients. If you want to have a free consultation, you know, give us a call, come in the office. We, we'd love to do that for you because it's just, uh, I know where you're going being 60. You want to try to pull back a little bit, look more at income. Uh, I think looking at these ETFs or these mutual funds may be a problem. Yeah, and a lot of times you, you get some good stuff in the ETFs, but you also get a lot of bad stuff. And, yeah. and kind of looking at, uh, you know, we talk a lot about GE as a, a great example. Is I, I bet you years ago GE was in that basket. Yeah. And I, we would have never held GE. We actually sold GE several years ago because the, the its numbers didn't make sense. But they had a nice dividend. Well, they mm -hmm. cut that dividend down to a penny. So, I, I mean, I would rather, I mean, you know, I uh, had John Temecula calling about CNA uh, financial company. I would rather find a nice insurance company that, that is paying good dividends. And, you know, they likely increase those dividends over time. I'd rather buy something like that and, of course, build a nice diversified portfolio, not just buy all insurance companies. Right. <laughs> but I'd rather do something like that than just buy the ETF. Yeah. And, and Michael, we do have a good income portfolio that we, I, I guess, 25% of our clients take income from the portfolio. So it's a different way to kind of look at it if you want to. Do you have a number at the office to give us a call if you want to? Uh, no, I don't, but I'd like to. Yeah. Yeah, let, let me give it to you here. You got a pencil and paper there? Yeah, I do. All right, it's 858-546-4306. that's great. Yeah. And um, I know you don't recommend stocks, but in, in an area right now to try and do principal preservation um, with some, you know, yield better than it's going to be sitting in, you know, some account somewhere, mm -hmm. what direction might you look in? I, I would say a good one that we just covered was the insurance companies. I, yeah. I think there's a lot of uh, intrigue there. I'd say financial companies overall are, are 
pretty strong. Uh, I don't know if I want to use CNA. Terms, safe you said CNA. I, CNA is the one we covered earlier. Yeah. There's still more research to be done, but it but it was definitely yeah. intriguing. Yeah. Yeah, we, C, C, yeah. CNA looks good, huh? Okay. Well, that um, that sounds good. I will. Uh, I will. I will give you a call. And uh, maybe we can sit down and take a look at the entire portfolio. Yeah, because that gives us more time. We spend like an hour kind of with you talking about different things. And it's it kind of points you in the right direction here on the show. But to go more detail, we'll, we'll do that. So, Michael, we'll look forward to hearing right. from your call. And thanks for the call here. I right, appreciate it. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye-bye. All righty. That does open the phone line, 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. Uh, let's go out to Alpine and speak with Jim. Jim, you're on the Smart Vest with Brent Chase. How can we help you? Hey, good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. How are you this morning? Good. How are you doing? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm just seriously blessed. What can I say? <laughs> uh, now, I, now I get to talk to you two. Well, good. We appreciate <laughs> that. <laughs> I'm getting better about a Saturday morning. So uh, listen, I appreciate you uh, bad mouthing ETFs a little bit because I'm going to ask you about kind of an ETF. Case <laughs> <laughs> um, last week I asked you about the uh, return of dividend or on capital versus return of capital, and I have a fund HTD. Uh, it's a John Hancock uh, mutual fund, I believe, although it seems to trade like an ETF. And I'm just wondering if uh, there's a place when I review the, uh, uh, you know, the quarterly reports and stuff, if I can find out what a company's, that's, that, that's the HDD is what brought up the question. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if there's a place to find out what a company's investment or dividend strategy is, what are their thoughts about paying dividends? Is that in those reports? Or what is it, the Q? And forgive me if I can't recall the correct letter. Oh, 10Q, 10K is what yeah. you're thinking with the SEC filings. I, I, I presume ETS file those as well. Maybe yeah, I know they, they file something. They, they file, they file some, something. Yeah. They, they, they file, I know, uh, kind of quarterly holdings, their right. reports, uh, what's in there. So I, I do know there is that. But kind of more specifically, uh, it sounds like you're asking just about companies in general. It, it is. Yes. I'm going to say guidance. Uh, a lot of times analysts, like if you read the conference calls from businesses as well, a lot of times the analysts will ask, well, what's your capital allocation strategy? And, well, you know, we had a capital allocation plan to buy back stock. We did this amount last quarter. Uh, you know, this is our plan on the dividend. Some companies that cut dividends, the analysts ask, well, are you planning on bringing it back? Well, we can't talk about that. So, you know, there, there's <laughs> not going to be an exact answer many times, but you can kind of get a – a feel, and, and and there's one company in our portfolio in particular I'm thinking about that we thought they were going to bring back the dividend uh, earlier this year, and that they're still kind of holding out on it, but they haven't given an exact date of when it will come back. Uh, it seems like it will come back at some point, but just haven't given that exact date yet. So um, it, it's, I don't want to say gut feeling, but you got to kind of read the conference call and read into what management is thinking. Look at the cash flow. If cash flow is increasing, they've had a history of increasing dividends. Uh, that that could be a, a likely thing that could continue as well. So it's, I'm going to say analysis paired with some 
some estimations as well. And one thing I was trying to look for you here as well, Jim, was, uh, and again, this is John Hancock Tax Advantage Dividend Income Fund. Now, what I looked at, which kind of worries me, is that the dividend yield 6.7%. Now, there's not very many companies out there that are paying a 6.7% dividend so I'm kind of curious how they got that. And I'm trying to find this for you, and then nothing's coming up, but I do believe they're doing some type of option strategy here to enhance that dividend, or they're putting high-yield bonds in there. But even high-yield bonds right now, a high-yield bond now is considered paying 5%. So I, I, I just don't know how they're coming up with a 6.7% dividend. And if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. I do see the range of the uh, ETF was a high of twenty five ninety eight. We're right now on twenty four dollars and fifty eight cents, but the low was eighteen dollars and forty two cents. Now, I, it just worries me. I wish I had more data on here for you to find out what they're investing into. But I just have a feeling when you find that, it's not going to be very good. And if you can't find, I always tell people if you can't find something, you can't get the answers. You're better off selling because you, we, you can't get the answers, you don't know what's going on with it, as opposed to waiting and hoping, and all of a sudden it, it drops 25%. I saw this, you know, I started investing back 40 years ago, I saw this when I was first in the industry, I worked for a large bank in San Diego, and they said, oh yeah, sell these funds, sell these funds, you, the yield is great on them, so forth. So I was new, I, I was listening to the guys I thought knew more than me. Well, they had these option strategies, and when rates moved the wrong direction, our clients are losing 20, 25% in bond funds. And it's because of the option strategy. So I just have a feeling with a 6.7% yield on a tax advantage dividend income fund, they're doing something to get that yield high. So I'd be very, very concerned on that. Well, yeah, I mean, Brent, that's why I brought up the return of capital mm -hmm. versus return on capital, yep. because to get that yield, they could be, doing return of capital mm -hmm. yes. to help enhance that yield versus return on capital. Um, that's why, that's what, you know, fostered the whole question in the first place. Yeah. 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 That is interesting. Yeah. Cause it could be just essentially, uh, it's a great point, Jim, just returning the capital, which would in theory just reduce the, the price of the fund, <laughs> but it's like, oh, here you go, we did a distribution, but it, it kind of comes out of the price of the fund as well. So that, that's a, a great point that you bring up, Jim. Yeah. And I'm sorry, I, I thought for uh, sure I had some place where I can see the holdings of this. And it's well, just that's what's weird. I, I swear we've looked at something like this as well. Most of the time on funds, and I wonder if it's because it's a closed-end fund, but yeah. open-ended funds, most of the time we, we can look at the, the holdings. ETFs, we can look at holdings. I don't know if it's just a closed-end fund. Yahoo's having some struggles with this as well. But, uh, yeah, I can look at the holdings on this. We'd have to probably look at one of the recent reports. Yeah, yeah, uh, from the that's company. That's what I figured out. Or something. Yeah, if you're going to hold on to it, definitely worth the research because I, I, I don't think you're going to get out of this what you want. Um, it's just, well, again, if it's a closed-end fund, it could be trading at a discount causing the higher yield. So another question there. I, I wish we had more answers than questions for you, but we got more questions that need to be answered uh, on this. But I, I just I just don't. I feel uncomfortable. All right. Well, I'm sorry. I don't know another show that you guys can call and get any answers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is no other smart investing show. Everybody else is uh, talking about other things, not about <laughs> direct investing. <laughs> All right, Jim. All right. It's, uh, it's always a pleasure. Have a great day, Jim. You too. Bye-bye. All right. That does open the phone line, 866-577-2473. That's 866 577 
888-253-2473. And it's very disappointing not to come up with that information because you, you want to get it, it should be there. And when it's not there, it kind of worries me even more that you can't get to it. So, And I, I did want to bring up, too, uh, we did get a, another question on Facebook. I wanted to bring this oh, one up. Um, sure. Yeah, and, and I uh, I just sent it over to Brendan as well because he can't see this, but it was on our, our messenger rather than just on oh, our page. Okay. So okay. I, I wanted to pull this up. It was from a, a Keith. He has a, it said, a question for the show. Microsoft stock seems to be racing up in price <laughs> <laughs> while uh, Crapple of China and LBM are both rather stagnant in price over the last year. So a nice little... Uh, Cra- um, crapple, is that what you said? Yeah, I think he like made a little nickname for him, like Crap and oh, Apple. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. okay. Got it. okay. I, I'm guessing he's not fans of IBM <laughs> and Apple here. Uh, but he said, who is uh, really the most honestly valued and likely to continue to grow in value compared to those three? So it was Apple, Microsoft, who was the third one? I think he said ill BM, like IBM, IBM but IBM. like ill, like sick. <laughs> <Okay>. So <laughs> got um, a fun play on words there. And, 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 I mean, obviously we can run over the numbers of, of one or two of them, but what we know on Microsoft and Apple, they're very, very expensive on the valuation ratios. Uh, we have seen, now again, we, we saw this in the beginning of the year. Are we seeing it again? Because at the beginning of the year, we saw these Apples and Microsofts pull back as a 10-year treasury went up. Well, the 10-year treasury has been kind of floating up again. I think it passed 1.3% yep. uh, percent on the 10-year yield. And then we're seeing the Microsofts and the Apples kind of like kind of push up against the ceiling, not be able to get past it. If we continue to see interest rates rise, I think they could have more of a problem. Now, I think if we look at the numbers on IBM, we would see some good valuation ratios, but worries on IBM is the amount of intangible assets that could be written down causing a problem. And I think they also had a lot of debt on their balance sheet, which is why we don't get into IBM, even though they had a good a good dividend yield. And wasn't it that Warren Buffett had it and made no money for like three, four years or a very small uh, Yeah, it was, it was a, yeah, several years. And he eventually kind of just, I'm going to say threw in the towel on it. So yeah, this yeah. is, and it's funny because Warren Buffett, I, I don't, he like didn't buy tech for years and then he bought IBM and didn't do well on it. But right. then he bought uh, Apple and, and did very well on Apple. So um, kind of interesting how that worked out for him, but it, it is interesting when you look at the valuations on these big tech companies. I mean, we, we've talked about it before on the show with with Microsoft, Apple in particular. I, I mean, these companies are now trading at over thirty times earnings in many mm-hmm. cases, and we're saying, well, what are they going to do? Trade at forty times earnings again? Yeah. As a reminder, the historical average is sixteen point six. How are you going to get multiple expansion? You're, you're essentially limiting yourself to whatever the earnings growth is going to be because I don't foresee the multiples expanding. Right. I see it much more likely the multiples contract, which means if multiples contract, the stock price would fall. Yeah. So you, you got to be very careful and you got to look at what you're paying for these businesses. Microsoft, I think, has done a phenomenal job. I think the CEO is wonderful. I think he's really transformed that company. But at what price? Do you pay for that company? Yep. I mean, that that's what it really comes down to. So um, I, I'm not a fan of big tech in this situation. IBM, not a fan of IBM. There's just too much debt. There's there's some big tech that, that I think is reasonably priced, that, that's strong. It's not the, the sexy tech, but I think there's some opportunities there. But the, the three that we, we just covered, I, I wouldn't go towards any one of them. Yeah, and, and actually, there's a time you don't buy tech. I mean, back in the, in, in the tech boom, I mean, it got to a point where you couldn't find tech to buy. It's the same thing now. And, and uh, I, 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 again, Microsoft, Apple, great businesses, but it's, some, it's a business. And what do you pay for it? Because if you pay too much, like anything, 
is going to fall down. So I think what Keith has to do is give us better options of something we can say is a good value. Maybe you should look at an insurance company <laughs> versus the tech companies because there's very few. I think we found a couple of tech companies we've kind of liked and so forth that trade reasonably, and they're not going to jump, you know, 100% going forward. Um, but the good long-term hold tech companies, and and I, you know, I I, I think what's going to happen with the IBM and not the IBMs, the Microsofts and the Apples of the world, they may not have a big pullback, but I think people will be very disenchanted four or five years down the road because that multiple expansion. This happened before back in I think what 2000. I don't know, five through 10 or something where the stock just did this trading range as the earnings kind of caught up to the high valuations. That's, yep. that's what worries me. Then people, oh, stocks, you don't make any money. Well, you buy the, overpay for something, you're not going to make money. So, yep. all righty. Uh, phone number is 866-577-2473. Let's head up to a Lake Forest and speak with Steve. Steve, you're on the Smart Investor Brent Chase. How can we help you? Good morning, guys. I wanted you to look at Danamere. Do you I think you have the, do you hold No, the, I don't own it yet. Okay, thinking about no, buying it. My group is going to buy it. Yes. Okay. Well, let's take a look at Deer Mare Scientific Incorporated, symbol DNMR. Chase? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to tell you here, Steve, not getting a lot of information. Um, yep. It looks like they recently reported earnings, but uh, it looks like things are released. Uh, it's very, very strange. I, I'm not sure, again, if this has to do with the recent earnings release, but no PE multiple. Current price to sales, well, that's 26.2 compared to an industry average of 2.1. Current tangible price to book value, well, that's 3.9 below the industry at 35.5. No price to cash flow, no dividend. Uh, sales growth isn't listed for whatever reason, and uh, neither is earnings growth. So I'm wondering if it is paired with a lack of information on the, the income statement as they perhaps released earnings recently. Uh, current ratio, though, wow, 15.6. I'm guessing this is some type of biotech company or something. Because, I mean, that is well, uh, fabricated the, plastics and rubbers, the what's, industry. What's, what's the quick ratio? The quick ratio is 14.9. A lot of cash. Yeah. yeah I mean, it, it's it's very strange. Uh, debt to equity, 5.9. Uh, I said no return on, or actually no return on capital here, negative 15.7. Return on equity, negative 18. Uh, profit margin for the last financial information, negative 85.7%. Receivable turnover, nothing there. Inventory turnover, nothing there. So not a whole lot on the numbers side here, Steve. What, what, what do you guys see that uh, is intriguing about this company? They have just come up with a patent to uh, produce a plastic that's made from a, a bean stock. I can't remember which bean it is that will replace uh, baggies for trash and things, and that will, when it goes into the land dump, will wind up degrading it in six months rather than 99 years. Hmm. Well, that's pretty interesting. I, I do see the stock did close on a Friday at $20.10, up a dollar thirty nine, up 7.4%. Maybe that's when that information came out. I do see a 52 week yep. range here. Now, this is not good here, uh, uh, Steve, because the low is 975. Okay. But the high, $66.30. It's now, as I said, $20 a share. So a big decline from there. Uh, you got a market cap of $1.96 billion. Let me just kind of look up, see if the analysts give it any uh, earnings going forward. Unfortunately, two analysts are following this company. The average of those two is uh, to lose $0.20. Cents. Uh, one analyst says it'll lose $0.46. Cents. One says it'll make $0.05. Cents. So this is one of those home run type ones to where if this... Uh, 
baggy situation, we'll call it, does do well. Sounds pretty good. The stock could do very well, but many times you get to market, doesn't work that well. Distribution doesn't work that well. So definitely a high risk uh, gamble here. Uh, some that we would not invest into, but you know, if it does work, I mean, the stock could go up, you know, multiple times. But we would just not recommend uh, for our type of portfolio to invest in this at all. Yeah, because it, it's definitely going to be, yeah, it's definitely going to be dependent on you know they likely don't have any contracts or anything right yeah. now. They just came out with the technology, so um, there's a, a lot of uncertainty, I'd say, with it. And as Brent said, could be a home run, uh, could be a strikeout as well there, Steve. So so be careful. Okay. Thank you for that information. I appreciate it. Okay, Steve. Thanks for calling. Have a good one. All right. Okay. You too. Bye bye. I will say something very quickly. Sure. Uh, They uh, partnered with Mars uh, Bars, or, you know, the company, the candy bars. Oh, the candy bars, yeah. And they're going to make biodegradable wrappers for Skittles and other other candies, too. So So, so that is helpful. You know, and I was thinking, too, as Steve was talking and we were talking, sometimes, too, what can happen is that you have your other big companies, and I'm trying to think of, like, some of the big like uh, maybe Hershey's comes in. Well, well, not Hershey's, but the bagging companies. He talks oh, about the okay. baggies. Uh, I want to say Huffy or something. Uh, you know, we buy them all the time. These big plastic bags and so forth. They might really kind of oh, try hefty, to, hefty. There we go, hefty, not Huffy, hefty, hefty. Uh, to where they're going to try to push them out of the market, where they'll pay more to get that ideal space in the grocery store where people are buying, so that this new company, like, well, they're buried somewhere else down there. So that that, that can kind of happen. I, I mean, know. it could be like an acquisition for like a, a Kimberly Clark type yeah. company that, that does a lot of kind of household products and things of that nature. Uh, another thing that, that you got to be cautious of is depending how strong that patent is and how easily it could be replicated or kind of I don't want to say duplicated, but a similar type technology is you could look at the bigger players, invest in it, buy it, come up with it, no, come oh, up with their oh, own technology. Because we, yeah. we've seen this before yeah, with like, yeah. um, you know, other large companies, they have competitors. And I hope this company gets purchased by a large company. A large company says, ah, we don't want to pay that much for it. We're just going to create our own. Yeah. So I, uh, I have know to, it can be done. So we, we can figure it out if we spend a billion dollars, which they have many times. Yeah. yeah. So, I, so that's always something you got to be careful of with uh, kind of hoping that a company gets acquired or something of that nature. Yeah. Let's try to take a, one more call before the uh, show is over. Let's go out to San Diego and speak with Mike. Mike, you're in the Smart Vest with Brent Chase. How can we help you? Well, I'm looking at a company, BHP Group, which is a global resource company out of Australia. Seems to be on uh, sale a little bit. I thought I'd hear what you have to say. Okay. Chase, what do you have for the numbers over there? And I see it as an Australian company, so I'm just kind of updating the information here to, to look uh, at the competitors. So, uh, again, we're going to take a look here at BHP Group. The ticker symbol here is BHP. And, unfortunately, I just got that circle of death that's just spinning <laughs> round and round. <laughs> there we go. Perfect timing. Yeah. So, uh, current price to earning for BHP Group. Wow, 14.9, below the industry average of 18.6. Uh, also interesting, it looks like they're comparing against uh, a lot of the oil producers like Exxon, Chevron. Um, it looks like also Freeport MacMoran is in there as well. So it looks like uh, just kind of different commodity companies is what they're they're comparing against. Uh, but current price to sales, 2.7, which is below the industry average of 2.9. Price to tangible book value at 3.2, also below the industry average of 4.8. And current price to cash flow, that stands at 7.9. Well, the industry's at 9.6. Holy cow, you get a dividend yield of 
0%. And the company uses just 45% of their earnings to pay that out. So uh, that appears to be quite sustainable and a, a very, very nice yield. Now, sales growth over the last 12 months up 42%, while the industry only climbed 36%. And earnings growth over the last 12 months, well, that's up 42%, while the industry was up 640%. Uh, financial strength. Current ratio stands at 1.6, and total debt to equity of 40.9. Pretty strong balance sheet for this business. Return on equity for the business is 22. That's strong. Profit margin for the business stands at 22%, while the industry is at 15.8%. And that receivable turnover of 12.9, also above the industry average of 10 no inventory turnover. What are we looking like going forward here? Well, I, I did want to see what uh, BHP uh, does. And the uh, BHP Group engages in the natural resources business in Australia, Europe, China, Japan, India, South Korea, rest of Asia, uh, North America. Uh, they are in to operate petroleum, copper, iron ore. It's, it's, a, it's a natural resources type business, which can do very well, but can also do very poorly as things change on you. And that's why I'm surprised that big dividend uh, resource company would pay that. Uh, I do see that uh, on Friday, they closed at $66.58, up $1.75, about 2.7%. The 52-week range, or just about the middle of that, at $66 a share. The low's been $46.90. The high's been $82.07. They do have a very large market cap of $169 billion. But unfortunately here, no analysts. So you have no look into forward of any experts saying this is what we think the company's going to earn going forward, which leaves you a lot of research you have to do on your own because you can't come up with a target sell price. So I, I don't like doing that. We won't buy a company without analysts giving us some preview of the earnings going forward. All righty. Well, you bet. Uh, still looks good to me. <laughs> and it could do well or it could not do well. So that's the thing. If you don't have enough information, we always say, walk away because it's that terrible to buy something and then it falls down. You say, I knew I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mike. Okay, thanks. Have a good weekend. You too. Thanks for calling. Bye-bye. Uh, you know, Chase, I did want to mention one more time about the YouTube channel because, again, we, we do some great things on there. We really see the uh, subscribers, I think, growing quite a bit. So why don't you tell that again? Yeah, yeah. And it's funny. We've got a couple of calls on some companies we've covered. So it uh, could give you a little bit more research on it. So go to our YouTube channel, Smart Investing with Brent and Chase Wilsey. Look at the weekly stock analysis uh, portion of it. And that's where we'll see different companies we cover. Yep, yep. All righty. Well, thank you for listening to Smart Investing Show. It is for informational purposes only and should not be used as investment advice. If you'd like to discuss in more detail your investment needs, have other investment questions, feel free to call myself Brent Wilsey or Chase Wilsey at 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. Or visit our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. And for more daily educational information along investment tips, go to our Facebook page, Smart Investing with Brent and Chase Wilsey. Today's show is sponsored in part by Thomson Reuters Refinitiv. Closing song, Frank Sinatra's My Way, is performed by local entertainer Roman Palacios. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. We'll talk more next week right here on the Smart Investing Show. And may I say, not in a shop. This program is sponsored by Wilsey Asset Management.